Behold, this is another episode of the Gaming Memories Podcast, where I, your host, the one true gaming prophet, in charge of the one true gaming podcast, which all started when me and Mother the Father, Kojimi the Son, and Carmack the Holy Ghost appeared to me in prophetic visions, saying that I need to restore the one true podcast for video games on Earth, and all I had to do was interview creative and interesting people about their favorite games growing up. That's generally what I do, but today we are not going to do that. Sometimes prophets don't do what they're supposed to do. That's just the way the game goes. Today, we are doing our second year of a group of friends and I get together every year and we talk about the top 10 games we played during that year. Last year was the first year we recorded that conversation and I released it as an episode. It did incredibly well. A lot of people liked it. So we are doing it again this year. The original episode in raw format was four and a half hours. So I'm going to edit the shit out of it. So it might be a little quick, might be a little unnatural in spots, but that's because I want to condense it down and have it just be just about the games. This episode is just pure games. The best games we played, why we loved them, and a little bit of arguing about some of our top picks and why we think certain games are better than the other. But all in all, it was a fantastic episode. I love all these dudes. We do it every single year. Each one of them will introduce themselves in the podcast and applicable links to anything they do online will be in the podcast description. Also, I will put a link to all the games listed in this episode by each person, their top 10, that you can get access to that in the link provided in the podcast description as well. Other than that, let's get right to it. No wasting time today. Remember to share the good news of the gaming gospel and the God shall bless thee. I say these things in the name of me and one of the Father, called Jimmy the Son, and Carmack, the Holy Ghost. Amen, and enjoy the show. My second highest listened episode last year was the game recap of last year. So we're going to keep doing it. You got to tell us what the highest was then. The highest was a girl named Dearest Abby. She's like a cosplay streamer. She's like a semi-professional donkey, like old school Donkey Kong player. Like the arcade game? <laughs> like the arcade game. Yeah. Reagan's thinking something dirty for sure. He's over there <laughs> laughing. <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind was something not about Donkey Kong, and I won't say what it was. But I think this one, I got a lot of... A lot of engagement, not just listens, but engagement because people tried games out. They thought it was cool. I also edited it like really, really tight. So it was just kind of like, bam, game, 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 each person. And then at the end, I kind of let it us hanging out. But so I'm stoked. So I think we're going to do, as mentioned before, we'll do six through 10 and then the other Steven will get on. But before that, let's go through everybody. Introduce yourself. If you have anything on social media or any content you create, I know Lauren does. Um, I don't know. I know Robert and Steven were doing bro v bro at one point, um, but introduce yourself where, where, where people can find you online. And then we'll do six through 10 and just get right into the good. So let's start with Lauren. Hey, I'm Lauren. I uh, don't play as many video games as I used to, but I love this tradition that we have together where we talk about our top 10 of the year. It's exciting. to. I, how long have we been doing this now? It's been like close to 10 years, I bet. I barely fit in 10 games this year, uh, but I'm excited to talk about them. I do create content um, on YouTube based on Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. I'm a big Wheel of Time fan. There's also an Amazon Prime show, which is okay. And uh, I talk about both of those things a lot on my channel. It's called Unraveling the Pattern. I'm on Twitter as Unraveling the Pattern. I even have a TikTok, though I've barely posted on there, but yeah. 
Nice to have you on, Lauren. I won't say anything about the Amazon Prime show. Let's just keep things nice. All right, you're up, Reagan. Uh, my name is Reagan. I'm Kid's older and better looking brother. This is true. I don't really do social media much. You have a pretty cool music project, though. I do have a pretty cool music project right now, yes. It's, it's getting off the ground right now. That's all you're going to say? You just That's all I'm going to say. You're ashamed of it? <laughs> it's not ready, bro. We're, it's close. About. We got three songs. Uh, that's true. No, I am a part of, I'm one half of the musical project, uh, Slave, Slave Music, which is at Slave Music at Instagram. That's where most of our stuff is. And on Spotify and on YouTube. I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, uh, my music project, but yeah, it's it's me and my brother. We do half and half, S-L-A-E-V. It's Slave, but Russian, because everything in Russian is more brutal. So, of course. Especially these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we came up with that name before the war started, for the record. Like two months before. <laughs> and then it started happening. We were like, shit, is this, can we have like Russian spelling? Yeah, it's fine. Whatever. He's also a professional sound engineer for his day job and he is better looking, but I'm cooler. So it's even. And he could kick my ass. I'll admit. Yeah, that's you. All right, Robert, you're up. Okay. I'm Robert Gibbons. And uh, I think I was the original inventor behind this podcast slash sharing of games at the end of the year. I've, I'm glad I've got this whole group to stay together and keep doing this year after year. It's seriously the things that I look forward to the most at the end of each year. And uh, I'm just happy to be here. I don't have any real social media stuff that I need to plug, but uh, just happy to be here. Thanks. All right, Stephen, you're up. All right. So I'm Stephen, uh, Stephen L. There's another Stephen coming. I'm the opposite end of this. Robert was the founder. I'm kind of the tag along, I guess, little brother kind of syndrome here. Yeah. I just love playing games and I've been doing this with these guys for several years. I were actually practicing medicine. My avatar is usually the fallout bobblehead for medicine, one with the giant syringe. I have no socials either. All right, let's do the same order. Let's start with Lauren, me, Reagan, Robert, Stephen, and then when, when the other Stephen comes in. And let's do your six through 10, and we'll just go in that order. I'm just hanging out here until we get to like basically the top three. But you don't have anything for six to 10? No. What are you responsible? Like, what, do you not play video games, dude? <laughs> I mean, it's been a busy year. I wish I played. And, and there's one game in particular that took up a lot of time. Yeah, we yeah. are. We are. I'm know. sure we'll talk about that <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> That'll be the last half of this will be turned into. Yes, easily. I so yeah. I'm I'm kind of in the same boat as Reagan. I am one of those people who listens to the same song over and over. I don't branch out very much, and the same is true of video games. I just play the ones I love. It's like comfort for me. And when I have a little break, I just replay Portal or Black Mesa or Super Metroid. It's on my list every year. I would put Super Metroid up higher, except I literally talked about it every year. I just played it two days ago. Played the whole thing through. I just love that game so much. So my top my uh, six through ten. We'll start with number ten. Uh, Portal. I play portal love that game uh black mesa is my number nine that's the half-life remake and i don't know if you've all played it but the last like third of the game they completely rebuilt from the ground up it's not based on the original half-life it's the zen part of it where they go to the alien planet when gordon freeman goes to the alien planet so good that that alone makes that game better than the original half-life by far so the half-life fan base is obviously very passionate and gamers online tend to be negative yeah. So I, as an understatement, you don't say, <laughs> you don't say. And what I found interesting is that's a super common theme that yeah. people say that the Black Mesa remake, specifically the Zen levels are better than the original. And that's so counterintuitive for everything gaming online. Right. 
you know, like Dark Souls one, the 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 end bit in the lava area, Lost Isolith or whatever it's called, they rushed it because they wanted to get the game out. And that's notoriously like the worst level design in, in Dark Souls one. And the same is true of the Zen chapters in Half-Life. Like I think Valve pretty much admitted that they rushed it in the end. That they didn't spend the time they originally wanted to on the Zen chapters. And so the Black Mesa people spent, I don't know, like 12 or 15 years making it. And they really spent a lot of time on that last part. And it's phenomenal. It's just really great. Valve never rushed anything ever again. <laughs> yeah, never <laughs> again. I mean, it's true. The, the other Half-Life games are pretty much perfect, in my opinion. But anyway, uh, my so my number eight is Super Metroid. My, my number seven is Batman Arkham City. I love the Arkham games, and I liked Arkham Knight. Um, I haven't played Origins as much. I think I played it once through. But Arkham City is another one of those comfort food type things for me. I don't remember when, but sometime over the summer, I sat down and I played it over the course of like two Saturdays. Just really, really love that game. Um, and then my number six, this is going to bleed into my top five a little bit, but it's Little Nightmares 2. So I'll talk more about that when I talk about my top five. I have an honorable mention, but I haven't finished it. I've just started playing it over Christmas. It's God of War on PS5. What a game. Um, that's probably going to be on my list next year. I have things to say about it in comparison to my number one. So maybe we'll talk about it more. Foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Evil foreshadowing, to be honest. That's going to cause some controversy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's my turn. So I'm going to have one honorable mention because I didn't beat it, but it's an interesting game. It's called Chorus. It is on Games Pass. It is an open world space sim. So you never leave your spaceship, but it's open world, meaning like you have this big area of space in the galaxy. You go to different planets and stuff. It's like No Man's Sky, but you never leave your ship and you blow shit up and you get cool parts and you build your ship. The reason I liked it is heavily religious. So the Stories based around there's like this religious organization that mixes technology and spirit, and they have these fighter pilots that have special abilities. It was really cool, but I only played like five hours of it, so I, I, I think people should just check it out. That's an honorable mention. But let's go into the six through ten. Like you, Lauren, I play a lot of the same games over and over again. I'm playing retro games all the time. I replayed Onimusha Four: Dawn of Dreams. It's my favorite Onimusha game. It came out late on the PS2. It gets overshadowed because it's outside of the trilogy. The modding community has used all this cool new AI tech has been great for modding old games because people will dump textures from old games, run them through AI upscalers, which the AI upscalers are getting better and better and better. Then they'll like manually tweak them. And so there was a texture pack that came out for Onimusha 4 that bumps all the textures to 8K. And then with emulation, you can run it at native 8K, at native 8K and then downstep with the 4K. And then you can also bump the speed, which is something I've been playing around with because a lot of these older games are a little bit slower. And I found I just, I just bumped the speed to 125% and it was like playing a proper remaster as if someone actually as if Capcom remastered the game properly and did an amazing job you can have that experience right now so it's an old game I replayed the whole thing I don't know if you if you're into Onimusha's I think it's the best Onimusha out of the whole series it's kind of an obscure series now it died and they haven't really done anything with it they did do a re-release of Onimusha 1 on the PC but it didn't sell good enough and they canceled the uh, remasters of 2 and 3 so we'll probably never get them. The best way to play it is with mods. Number nine is a little pixel game called Eastward. It's like a top-down Super Nintendo Zelda clone with really endearing pixel art, incredible attention to detail. It would be in my top three, but the story and the narrative like falls apart completely the last half. If not for that, it would probably be a top three. 
Number eight is actually three games in one. I replayed Final Fantasy seven, eight, and nine with all the coolest mods, and I'm doing some podcasts. I'm doing some YouTube content. I captured all the boss fights, all the summons, all in 60 FPS, 4K, with all the texture mods and shit. So if you want to see how those games look with all the cool dressing without actually spending three days troubleshooting Final Fantasy eight mods and screaming at your screen why it's not working and going through Reddit forums and cursing over and over again, and you just want to watch the YouTube video, I've done the work for you. That's the whole point. I replayed all three of them. In hindsight, I used to think eight was my favorite. I was a contrarian because everyone talks about seven and I thought nine was okay and seven was the worst because everyone talks about seven. And again, I was just a stupid hipster. I replayed all three of them. Seven's the best. I can confirm. It's the best. Like now in hindsight, and I think it goes in order, seven, eight, nine. Seven's the best. Eight's the next. Nine's, and they're n- none of them are bad. Except for eight. Eight's bad. Um, I liked it. I had a really good time with eight. Um, most people think nine's the best, and I have the least fun with nine. I, I'm playing through nine right now, actually, for the first time ever, and I'm really enjoying it. But I, I have it so I can toggle like auto battle and nine thousand damage anytime or anytime you want. It, it was so bad. Final Fantasy was my favorite game franchise before, and I've never beat one since. And I, I have to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of with Reagan. I played eight, and I, I think I would have enjoyed it more if I'd played it consistently. But I stopped, and I just wasn't really interested in going back to. It, but I'm really, I'm really digging nine. So I only ever played seven and I stopped because I had reached perfection. Like, <laughs> I love seven. I played the crap out of that when I was a kid. Sweet. Uh, after that, six and seven are both indie games. One is a really, if so, we're all fans of Dark Souls, a really foreboding dark 2D Metroidvania. That's brutally hard. It's called Moon Scars. And you play as a, like, almost like a Pinocchio type. There's an all father that makes these dolls. They get brought to brought back to life. And the mystery is, is you have to, the, the all father disappeared and you go through this world. That's, I mean, it's like many games. It's, it wears its dark souls influence on its sleeve. It's not even trying to hide it. It's just 2d side scroller, super bloody, like really, really bloody. It's like black, red, and gray, or like the 90% of all the colors in the game. And it is, I, it's almost too hard, not quite as satisfying as, as a souls born. So sometimes when I'm on like the 10th, attempt to get somewhere it's just like uh the reward cycle wasn't quite good enough i beat it but it, at the end of the day it was just like a little too brutal for my taste but it's not long either and then the number six is also another indie game which i would highly recommend is signalis this is a top-down like resident evil remake almost it's pixel art it's sci-fi it's a survival horror and it's channeling like resident evil one on the playstation so shout out to Humble Games, I guess, right? Yeah. They were the developer or the publishers of those last two. Reggie wow. doesn't have shit because he's too responsible. So we'll uh, skip him and we'll go right to you, Robert. Okay. My honorable mention is Mass Maker, which is a VR game for PC that I played this year. I wanted to have a VR game on there and this legitimately was my number 11 if I was going to rank them anyway. So I'm, I'm encouraging anyone with a VR to give it a try because it's a really fun VR game where you like physically like manipulate things, obviously, but you like put on masks and it's really kind of trippy, but it's also just kind of a puzzle point and click game in VR. My number 10 is another puzzle game called Goro Goa. And speaking of short games, Reagan, this is like a one hour game or two hours if you're dumb like me. It's a game where there's like four windows and there can be different things happening in each one. And then you can like move elements off of one window onto another and create new pictures that help you progress the story and solve the puzzle. 
kind of trippy. It's really cool, though. And if if any of you have Game Pass for Xbox, it's on Game Pass for PC for another like four days. That's where I played it. And like I said, you can beat it in an hour or two. Donkey Kong Country 3 is my number nine. This is my retro game that's on my list. That's yeah. a great game. I love the Donkey Kong Country games. I played Donkey Kong Country 1 like five times. Finally played Donkey Kong Country 2 last year. And, and then I got Donkey Kong Country 3 on the Wii U of all places and played that this year. Loved it. My number eight, I played it with Stephen Gibbons, actually. So this might come up on his list, Ashen. That's basically a Souls-like game. The graphics are very low res in terms of how graphics are these days, but it's a really fun style of gameplay and obviously apes a lot of things from the Souls-like genre. And frankly, of all of the Souls-like games that I've played that are not from Soft, I, I enjoyed this the most. It's the only one I've actually finished because I've tried like Neo and other ones, but this is the one that I enjoyed and wanted to finish and steven and i both played through it wipe that smirk off your face motherfucker wait you're saying neo wasn't just the most amazing game ever robert because i happen to agree with you i didn't get through it the market has spoken on neo you guys just don't get it that's all i'm saying no offense to you robert but offense to reagan definitely offense to him my number seven is the cat game stray i i was excited for that game the moment it was announced and so i was happy that it came to like the playstation plus service and downloaded it day one and played it and beat it relatively quickly, which is unusual for me. Usually it take a long time to beat games, but Stray, I got through really quick. Did you play that on the PlayStation then, you said? Yeah. Did, yeah. It, did your PlayStation have trouble with it? Because ours would constantly overheat when my kids would try to play it. Were you on the PS4 or PS5? PS5. We got it day one too, I think. And it just... You're storing your PlayStation 5 in that little closet with no no, it's again? No, not anymore. It's, okay. it's well ventilated. But it like that you can only play it for about 15, 20 minutes before it shuts down. No, I'd leave it on for hours. It would be fine. I've never heard of a PlayStation doing that. I didn't know that was an issue. I didn't either. And then Stray came out and the graphics are really amazing. But you can switch it to performance mode if the graphics mode was a problem. Maybe that's the thing. And then my number six is God of War, the same one that Lauren is playing. Uh, I have not played the newest one yet, but I did play the 2018 one this year and I really liked it. It was my number one when I first played it, but other games came out that I just happen to enjoy more. Maybe it's recency bias too, but I, it's definitely a masterpiece of a game. So those are my 10 through six. I, I, I probably played about maybe six hours of it or something. The only thing that frustrates me so far is it just feels so linear. And and I've been spoiled by other games. A certain game that came out earlier this year spoiled me greatly, but I just can't. It's like frustrating how you're you're this god and you can't climb over like a branch in your way. Mm. Or like rocks. There's just no ability to explore at all. Drives me absolutely insane. Other than that, it's a phenomenal game. It will open up. Yeah. And it has a little like I got to this point where you can like go between realms. There are like caves that are a little bit more intricate, but still the level design feels so basic compared to uh, some other games I've tried recently. I feel like it's a, a sign of the times kind of thing. Like in 2018, that felt fine. And now for a certain genre of player, it's going to feel a little claustrophobic. And I'm, I'm in that camp with you. I imagine if I went back and played, you know, like The Last of Us, I'd feel the same way. But I loved The Last of Us when I played it before, you know. So, but, I, but I also think you have to approach it on its own terms because not every game can be adapted to an open world. There are points in the game where you have to follow people and they will not let you move the camera to look around. It just drives me absolutely crazy. Like, I just want to look around at the sights, but they won't let you. You have to hone in on a very small area where the camera can only move just like a tiny bit. It's little limitations like that 
like it's more of a cinematic experience. Yeah, you're walking through a cinematic, which I understand when games want you to look in a certain direction, but it felt limiting in a way that frustrated me. Anyway. Did you, did you know one of the selling points of that game was there's a, never a cut from the camera. The camera never um, like blacks out to load a scene or something. I actually notice, I love how when you first start the game, it goes straight from the menu into the game. The menu background is the game. It just turns the camera to the left and you start playing, which is really cool. I mean, it's a beautiful game. The story is great. The writing is amazing. The the set pieces, the boss fights, I'm enjoying that part of it. I just wish I could have a little bit more freedom to look around and not feel like I'm limited because there's a tree branch in my way or a rock that's one inch higher than the other rock I just jumped over a second ago. Like that kind of stuff just really bothers me. All right, Steven. All right. So I feel like I've got to preface uh, mine with a couple of facts about myself. One is I'm the exact opposite of Lauren and Reagan. I play all the games that I can. I'm not so much a game completionist as I am somebody that is proud of how many games they've beaten in any given year. My tally this year of Lauren and Reagan comes up to 28 finished games. But honestly, a lot of them, like I'm looking at my list and I've got the game time, the hours for beating them. And a lot of them are nice and short. I got a two hour one, a three hour one. I played Gora Gora, played another really short Switch game called The Gardens Between. I, I like a lot of those experiences. It's almost like going to a movie. You know, how much would you pay to go to a theater? Buying a lot of these games gives you that same experience, except you're experiencing the stories in different ways because you have some control over it. You might not be able to walk over a rock that's six inches tall, right? (laughs) Which is totally frustrating. I agree. But that's not where the movie goes. Right. So it it like plays it within bounds. And then the second thing I have to mention is I started playing games based on a comic by one of my favorite web comics, XKCD. It was a comic back in 2009. Person comes up to him, says, what are you doing? He says, I'm playing Half-Life 2. She says that came out in 2004. And he says, well, I get games on a five year lag. Then I don't have to buy a high end system. And I get the same steadily advancing gaming experience as people who are buying stuff cutting edge. And so I actually started taking my backlog, taking the games I want to play and then basing them based on years. So all my game recommendations, well, not all of them, but a lot of them are, I'm a couple of years behind everybody else. So to jump into my number 10 through six, my number 10 is a nice little indie game, a game called Wander Song. The game looked like an Eric Carl book brought to life. It was like paper cutouts. The main character is a bard and his power is singing. So it's a twin stick kind of game. It's a platformer for the most part. And then you use the other stick to sing different notes. He also dances. You can actually dance your way through the entire game. It's super funny. I think it ended up lower, though, because it was a little rough around the edges. The characters were forgettable, but the music was great. It was a lot of fun. I really liked it. The art style looks great. No, it doesn't. What are you talking about? I love it. I love the style. This looks like Nickelodeon or some kids show. Try to do South Park. It feels like Adventure Time meets, uh, I don't know, bright, bright colors. The art style plays into the charm of the game because the main character is just irrepressibly happy and everyone calls him on it. And they're like, why? Why are you happy? You shouldn't be happy. All these terrible things are happening. And he's like, I don't know. I just love to sing. And he's like the main character in Lego movie. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> like everybody's realizing that things are terrible. And he's like, I don't know. Let's just be happy and sing a song, right? What is that guy's name? I don't we should know. Emmett. 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 Yeah. yeah. Everything is awesome. You know, everything is awesome. <laughs> I like Ted Lasso a little bit. If you've watched yeah, that yeah. show. Yeah, for sure. All right. Number nine is Star Wars Squadrons. 
for people that don't know, is a uh, Star Wars sim. It's it's definitely an action game. It's a starfighter shooter. But what's really impressive is that they made it into a pretty complicated flight simulator. So it's a lot more than the old school TIE Fighter versus X-Wing games. In this one, it requires a little bit more. It requires some level of focus because you have to divert the power to the different systems. So if you're flying a rebellion ship, you have to you have to divert your power to the engines to fly fast. And if you don't have enough power in the engines, it slows you down and you turn slower. And then if you start shooting, you have to put power in your laser blasters before you start firing to kind of charge them up and you can divert energy to your shields, which also can be sent to the front or the back or balanced between the two extremes. There's a lot to think about. The targeting computer also lets you target the bad guys, your allies, individual missiles that are flying. You can target those. There's a lot of detail in it that makes it a lot more than the old arcade kind of Star Wars games. The visuals and the sounds are so refreshing. As a Star Wars fan, you watch those movies and you're like, man, that'd be so cool to sit in one of these cockpits. And it feels exactly like that. And one of the things that I haven't been able to experience because I don't have a VR system, but this game was basically built for VR from the ground up. And it makes... I played it in VR this year. And the only thing I can say, it is incredible, but I got too motion sick because there's some tips that I read after the fact to like avoid motion sickness. I don't usually get that sick in VR, but that one in particular, because you can rotate your ship and if you're not a good flare, it's like, oh my gosh. But it was incredible for, I, I didn't finish it. And, and so it didn't make my list, but. It's got really good reviews. I mean, when it came out, pretty much no one said it was shitty. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about it. All right, moving on. My number eight game is another highly reviewed game, Deep Rock Galactic. For me, it's like the ultimate chill out game. Speaking from not me being high, but personal experience playing with others, this is absolutely a game that can be, you can just be blasted or you can enjoy it hardcore and like really go into it. When you say blasted, what do you mean here? Just high, just or drunk <laughs> or whatever, just wasted somehow. So Cade's Cade's everyday moment. He can play it. Yeah, man, Cade would love it. I'm playing on my, you know, my high end PC, and my other buddy is the one guy's high, the other guy's drunk, playing on his Steam Deck for the first time ever, and we're still having fun. Like it, it doesn't demand enough for you to have to totally worry about wiping or whatever necessarily. I think this could absolutely be the kind of game that gets the old secret game night crew back together if we can convince Lauren to play it. And the thing that Lauren needs to know about it is he already looks like one of the characters. <laughs> he does actually. He totally I've seen some promotional does. art. Yeah, it has a similar graphic style to Ashen you were talking about earlier, or someone brought up earlier. It has like modern lighting, but old school textures, like bland. Yes. Textures. It has a. It's interesting. I like it. Like almost blocky polygons, like slightly more 3D than Minecraft, right? What's the gameplay on Deep Rock? Like, isn't it like crafting survival? So it's a four-player mission-based team shooter. The, the backstory is dwarves that are mining out this asteroid and you work for the company and you load into your ship, which is just a pod that has a giant drill on it that pierces into the asteroid and they send you down to collect whatever. And you have to tunnel through these caverns and some of them have like bioluminescence 
luminescent fungus and stuff like that. But mostly you're tossing out flares that slowly get dimmer and dimmer. You've got a little bit of a headlight. There's four different classes and they all have their different abilities. It's a pretty affordable indie game that is just beloved by all. I've, I've, I've yet to meet anybody that was like, oh, this was a terrible game and I hated it. So number seven, back to Lauren, is Celeste. I'm not a big fan of platformers, tough as nails. I think I played maybe three levels of Super Meat Boy and I was like, this is not my kind of game. And then I heard that there was this touching, emotional, story-rich Super Meat Boy. And I was like, I'll give it a try. So it's a game about mental illness and it definitely shines in talking about it. And after a particularly dif- difficult year in my personal life, it was so nice to have a game that was about honesty and challenge. It's probably not the hardest platformer I've ever played, but it's awesome how you're constantly encouraged to keep going. I remember one game tip in the loading screen said, be proud of the death tracker because it shows how much you've learned. And I was like, I love that. I think back on that game and I don't think about the gameplay. I think about the story and the characters, like the moral of the story. And I totally agree that it did a really good job of uh, just being like a feel good game. What's funny about that, though, is it took me a while to get through it because it is difficult. And my daughter sat down to play it one day and like an hour or two later, she said, hey, I finished Celeste. And I was like, no, you didn't. There's just no way. And it turns out you can go into the settings and just basically set it to like God mode where you have unlimited jumps. And so she basically just unlimited jumped through the whole game. Well, I definitely didn't do that, Reagan. I did play the whole game. I'm skeptical right here. This is the skeptical eye. He's like, oh, you can? Really? (laughs) Oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) I had no idea. This is news to me. The whole point of that game is not to shame people for challenges that they choose to overcome in their own way, okay? That's right. That's so cute. (laughs) All right, and then my last one is Bioshock 2 Minerva's Den and Bioshock Infinite with the Burial at C DLCs. I had played Bioshock 2 and Infinite previously, both just as the base games, but I'd never played the DLC for either one. And I believe that somebody had Minerva's Den on their list last year or the year before. It was a few years ago when I had it on mine. I, I couldn't believe how good that was, especially Bioshock 2 by itself was a little repetitive for me and I didn't really enjoy it that much. But Minerva's Den was just so tight and so good and it was really great. Yeah. This has a lot of what I love in games, fun gameplay, a touch of magic, storytelling, rich characters, humor, good visuals, like the design, the voice acting, surprisingly good music too. And honestly, the DLC in Minerva's Den and Burial at Sea is some of the most cohesive world building. The characters that are in this, I mean, they've They've spawned books. That's how good these games are. Um, and they're making a TV series of this, right? Who's making it? Do you know? I do not recall. God, I hope it's Amazon. They're killing it lately with their adaptations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. It's a Netflix movie. Do you know about the God of War adaptation that Amazon is doing, Reagan? Do you know about that? And do you know that the Wheel of Time showrunner is going to showrun it? No. Oh, my God. Why why are they not fired? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to get off track, but oh, no. But for the record, I think that the Rings of Power is amazing. I actually love it. So I will give him credit. I actually like Rings of Power, too. I liked it. I like Rings of Power. So. A few interesting questions that I like from this, from the Bioshock series. If left to their own devices, will people just seek their own desires at the cost of others' freedoms? I mean, they they kind of answer that in their opinions. The second philosophical question that I got is, is there redemption for your sins or just the death of bad people? 
And then the third one was, is it inherent for mankind to create classism and racism, even when they're striving to create an ideal society? That last one was really fascinating to me. My answer to that is, well, kind of, because the wealthy are never truly wealthy due to the sweat of their own brow necessarily, but by the manipulation of the labor of others. Both societies tried to develop an ideal society, but they ultimately just ended up diving back into classism and racism because those who had built what they had on the backs of other people. It's like, playing the most enjoyable philosophy class ever. Sorry, I wanted to ask you real quick about the Bioshock Infinite DLC. What did you think of the Buried at Sea DLC? I loved that they took the pieces of Infinite with Elizabeth that you don't get to enjoy. You kind of get this hints that, oh, wow, she has some abilities that could really make things interesting, make life very interesting for her. And then, man, it just flaunts it and it just opens up a whole new world. One of my disappointments was Burial at Sea was the capstone of the whole series for me. Like it was the pinnacle. It was the best thing they've ever done. I could have played a 12 hour game based on the gameplay loop presented in that game. I feel like Bioshock 4 should have been that. Wait a second. There's not a Bioshock 4, right? I thought you said that's what Bioshock 4 should have been. I'm like, should have been. Should have been, but they made it into a DLC. Instead of making a Bioshock 4, they made a three-hour DLC. So I'm just saying that they should have taken the concept of what they did with Burial at Sea and fleshed it out and made a fully fleshed out Bioshock 4 game instead of just saying, oh, we got this cool idea. We're going to pack it into this tiny little package and just tack it on the end of Infinite. This could be its own hour-long discussion, but I wonder if sometimes DLCs seem better because they're so tight, because they don't, you don't do that gameplay for 12 straight hours. You know what I mean? Like Minerva's Den, I felt the same way with Bioshock 2 like because it was short it was better somehow it, the the story was tighter and the everything was tighter you gain your powers more quickly you, you can do more more quickly you know what I'm saying like I, I feel like maybe it would get tiresome if you did it for 30 hours I, or whatever I guess I don't feel like Bioshock Infinite was a problem because it was longer though like Bioshock Infinite is incredible and so was the first one Burial at Sea is Bioshock Infinite and the graphics and all of that but back in Rapture I was gonna say because you're talking about the sea and I was so I was just yeah you actually get to go back to Rapture it's really good I mean it's a Bioshock game so the less you know yeah don't t- don't tell me Steven, introduce yourself and do your six to 10. I'm Steven. I'm Robert's older brother. Uh, for my honorable mention, I'm going to, of the five other games that I played that are not on my list, I'm picking Ibn Ab. It's a two-player game where you play, it's a platformer, and you you use each other to navigate this level and try to get certain items as you go through. But there's, I don't know, it was just fun. I played it with my, my son, and then I played it with Robert. So I played it twice. It's really just a unique platformer. I would recommend it. If you want something to play for a couple hours with a friend, it's a good one. For my number 10, I've been playing through all of the Castlevanias. I'm on a quest to finish them all. I've played some throughout the years, like the DS ones. I've never played. Don't judge. Don't say Symphony of the Night. I'm not going to say it because it'll it'll offend you. Oh, my God. I'm on a quest. I will play it. I've played a lot of Castlevanias over the years, but I'm going to even play the 64 ones. But I've played so far Castlevania, the original, Simon's Quest, Haunted Castle, The Adventure from Game Boy, Dracula's Curse, Belmont's Revenge, and Super Castlevania 4. My favorite of all of those is actually the Game Boy one, The Adventure. Well, there's two. There's Belmont's Revenge and The Adventure is the first one, but Castlevania The Adventure is my favorite. Number nine, I've been updating you guys on my Mario games I've been playing with my son, and we have gone through three more. Super Mario Bros. DS, Mario Galaxy, Super Mario Bros. Wii, and now we're on Mario Galaxy 2. 
Number eight is Borderlands. Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Any of you played that? I've heard good things about it. No, but I want to. I love the Borderlands games. And this is probably near the bottom in my hierarchy of favorite ones, but there's still some dang funny moments. Reagan, I couldn't help feeling like if you've played tabletop games, you would enjoy it. So there's some laugh out loud moments for me, but and overall just fun, but it would be higher on my list if it was as funny as Borderlands 2. Did you play Borderlands 3? Yeah. Here's my order of number two is the best. Then Tales from the Borderlands. Then Borderlands 1. Wait, isn't Tales from the Borderlands one of those like story games? Dude, it is so good, Reagan. But you'll hate it because you don't like a game where you click a to like do stuff but dude the story is so funny the same guy who wrote the story for borderlands 2 wrote the story for tales from the borderlands i don't doubt it's amazing i can't i just can't do i can't do it you can for borderlands it's so it's so funny anyways okay number seven is darksiders genesis i don't think this one compares to the first two darksider games but it's still fun it's kind of like a isn't it completely different yeah it's like a top-down diablo style game but it was fun i collected everything in that game that i could just because i was enjoying okay my number six is Ashen. So I started playing this game like years ago with my brother, Josh, and it was really buggy. It's still buggy, but it's not as buggy. And he finally gave up and I've been begging Robert to play it with me for years. He finally bought it on Epic only to find out that they've, the multiplayer is broken. And Ashen is inherently like a Dark Souls game that has to be played multiplayer. Otherwise, you have to play with this stupid AI companion. But it was built from the ground up, intended to be played with two people. So eventually, he got it on um, PlayStation Plus. or It's like the second tier. It came free with it. And so I was able to download it because I the little family sharing thing. And then we played it. It was fun. I don't think Robert enjoyed it as much as I did. But I was like craving the end of that game for years and years and finally got to play it. So number six. What's your number five? All right. Yeah. So I already kind of talked about this. Little Nightmares 2 was my number six. Little Nightmares 1 is my number five. So um, the reason I ranked Little Nightmares 2 a little uh, lower is because there were a few moments in that game where the gameplay. Do you ever just get angry because the inputs don't read well in a game? Yeah, Castlevania the Adventure on Game Boy. <laughs> no, dude, it's so good. There are certain moments in that game where you know exactly what you need to know do. You know exactly when you need to press the buttons. You don't do it wrong, but you get you get stopped anyway. And so that happened a few times in Little Nightmares 2. And it got it made me so frustrated that if my daughter wasn't there, I would <laughs> I would have said flip. You don't even know. Um, no, I, I really would have just quit. I would have stopped playing, but I pushed through it and I got through it. And I'm glad I did, because the reason those games are so highly ranked for me is because the story and the design were really fun and really creepy. You're basically this little kid in a hood or like a hoodie. No, not not in the hood. Not in the hood. Well, kind of. Not in Detroit, like where I'm at. <laughs> it's just the, the environments are really creepy and cool. And the um, things that come after you are basically just like really disgusting, overgrown, fat adults. <laughs> who are really nasty. It's like from a creepy Tim Burton movie or something where they're something probably way creepier that I don't watch a lot of horror, but Tim Burton they, and Roald Dahl dropped acid together. Yeah, that's, that's how you're talking. Now you're talking. Yeah. And yeah. the environments are really awesome. And then there are these moments where with the story, where things start to link to the first game. And I just, the story itself was really fun and exciting when everything kind of came together in the end. Anyway, that's my number five. All right, on to me, number five, Anno Mutation M. The last word is mutation and they add E-M. So Mutation M, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, look it up. It's it's a, a mix of a 2D side-scrolling platformer, Metroidvania, but when you're not in battle mode, it's 2D, but with like 3D depth, you can go forward and back. All the characters are sprites, but the worlds are in 3D. It's a, it's a mix of 2D, 3D. 
The gameplay and the aesthetic is the best part about it. It looks like Paper Mario. Blade Runner, Paper Mario. Yes. Yeah, that's what it is. It's Blade Runner, Paper Mario. And the actual action part is like Symphony of the Night. It's like side-scroller. And then when you're not playing action and you're like doing the RPG parts, instead of being a side-scroller, it has depth. You can go back and forth. It's a little clunky when you switch from like the exploration to the action. And it doesn't do anything amazing, but does it does all its influences well. It has a pretty good story story but it's really dense the whole world is incredibly dense it's good but not great it's really good and it's close to being great like they just didn't quite it's hard to say like why but um i think it's mostly positive on steam yeah it is, and it, i think it looks really cool i'm interested in it just by looking at the screenshots and stuff i love games that try and blend genres and things like that it's really really good it's just it felt within the first four hours it was going to be game of the year level like oh my god this is a really really good game then it didn't quite live up to like feeling i got the first few hours playing it but it's definitely worth playing all right reagan do you have a five no why is he even here? All he does is just haggle people, talk <laughs> shit. Haggles us. Then he's just going to get to number one and talk about how it's the greatest game ever and argue with everyone. He's the peanut gallery. I have more than just one game, you asshole. He played one game, but he played it for like, no, actually, you're pretty far into God of War Ragnarok, aren't you? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving you that information. Spoiler alert. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Robert, let's just uh, skip him. Let's go to you. It Takes Two is my number five. This won the Game Awards Game of the Year last year, and I played it with my son, Peter. You have to play it two-player. There's no option. It's a two-player game only, and it's really fun. Um, by the same guy who made A Way Out and Brothers of Tale of Two Sons. Steven and I have been talking about playing this together as well, but since I've already played it this year, I'd maybe give myself a little more time. Or Steven, you can play it with your son. You might, you, you two might like it a lot. It's a really fun, also kind of genre blending game that just has every type of game you can think of all mashed into one fun experience. And the writing, I would say, is not the greatest, but the gameplay is top-notch and over-the-top. So I love Loved it. It takes two. That's my number five. You can't play it with AI. Like you have to play with another human. Correct. One of my gaming buddies said, if you want my advice, I played it with my wife and he's like, you should play the wife and she should play the husband just to get the perspective or whatever. That sounds pretty woke to me. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll pass on that one. Who wants to understand another person's perspective? What a waste of time. <laughs> Hey, that's another valid reason to play a video game. Let's make a list. Hey, I will say, I don't know if you've ever talked about the DLC for Last of Us 1 when you play in the mall. It's one of the best DLCs ever. Yeah, and I would have never thought that I would connect with a 12-year-old lesbian girl, but goddamn, they got me. They did. That's very true. It's a really good DLC. It is. Now, technically, the order, it's kind of changed on the screen, but let's go Stephen L. and then Stephen. So... Number five, Sniper Elite Five. This was actually a game that just came out this year. This was a pretty game. It played very smooth. I was impressed at that because a lot of cover shooters are really clunky when you're coming in and out of cover, when you're stealthing around. There's a lot of collision mechanics that can go wrong with these kind of games. But the sniping, oh my gosh, the sniping is so good. I played on a difficulty where it helps you a little bit to know the wind and the drop, but there are settings that you can do in these games where you can make it so that it doesn't help you at all. You have to look at the wind speed. You have to use your range finder to detect how far away your target is and then scope up to shoot up above it to make sure that you hit your target. 
and different guns have different sound ranges. If you're too close to your target and you know they're going to hear the shot, then you can backtrack through the level, get farther away because you know my gun has a sound distance of uh, you know this many meters. So I need to get a little further back so they can't hear where the shot is coming from. All the guns are super customizable down to the barrels, stock sights, muzzles, receivers, grips. There's a bunch of different ammo types. There's armor piercing, hollow points. It's a popular series. It's been around for a long time. It's got a lot of games. I've never tried it. Yeah, they do have a following, Cade, and I get why now. It was a good game, honestly. Steven, number five. Number five for me is The Lighthouse. It's a fascinating VR game, and it's and it has the kind of puzzles in it that you can only understand or like appreciate with VR. You can't make a game like The Lighthouse without VR. You're this person who's running this lighthouse, and you're building a small replica of that lighthouse within the lighthouse. And he falls asleep, and then you wake up as that small replica. But there's there's this continuation where you're this little replica who has a replica of the lighthouse and when you you can toss things out of the top of the lighthouse once you take the roof off or hand things down to the small replica so there's this weird puzzle mechanic to it and you have to think about size in terms of solving those puzzles and it was really cool tight little game takes two or three hours to beat but are you like god mode like you can shrink yourself and get bigger how well like like if you take a small key and you put it into the little lighthouse a giant key comes in from above because you just stuck it in the lighthouse. And so you're like handing it to yourself. Yeah, it's really weird. You can wave your hands and look up and see this giant hand like above your head or waving something that you're holding. Oh, so it's like fractal. Yes, it is like a fractal in that sense. Yes, exactly. So anyway, just a very unique puzzle game. Only You can only experience that kind of thing in VR where you can look you know, 360 degrees around and, and understand what's going on and kind of solve those puzzles. Not super challenging, but really fun and engaging short little game, but. All right, Lauren, for you. Now, back to you for real. All right. So I'm going to try to go fast, but I have a lot to say about this one. Uh, So we met last year. We talked about our games and Steve Loper said, you should try Metal Gear Solid 5. Um, And he said, try Ground Zeroes first just to see what you think. And I got Ground Zeroes for like a buck or something. It was like super cheap. And I tried it and I liked the gameplay a lot. And I was like, I'm going to try Metal Gear Solid 5, um, the Phantom Pain. And so... I ended up sinking quite a bit of time into it. I had never, I've never played a Hideo, Hideo Kojima game before. I never played any Metal Gear stuff. I didn't know anything about it. I thought I might try to kind of understand the story by watching some stuff. And I decided, no, I'm just going to go into this blind. And, um, that you know, was a and, bad move. <laughs> well, well, I, I had been given some warning because of our discussion last year. And, yeah. And Steven did talk to me about some of the things to expect. And, you know, like it was just, it's insane. It's insanity to a degree. Uh, th- there's like this random fire guy who floats around and there's this random girl with a mask that floats around and but you know i really enjoy the gameplay and i fell in love and i think this is why i was complaining about god of war earlier is because this year i played elden ring and i played metal gear solid five and they're so they feel so open and it feels like metal gear five is one of the most open you it's insane it's like if you see a ledge you can get there i was constantly surprised that i could just run forever and make it somewhere and there would be an outpost and there would be people or i could run up to the top of a mountain and scope out an area like i i just was constantly surprised by how open it was and i was kind of like man this is from i think it was 2015 when that game came out and i was like this is this feels like a very modern game i, I was just really impressed 
impressed by that. It, the gameplay for the most part was very smooth for me. I love that you could like climb ledges or you could sneak around. There was stealth. There's running. Um, I love the different types of weapons. And anyway, I just I really found that I enjoyed it. That being said, the cinematics, man, I had heard about Hideo Kojima and I had heard that he was kind of like this master, like this brilliant artist. But man, is he full of himself? Like I, it just kind of annoyed me that every chapter or every mission would start out with like opening credits and lens flares like directed by Hideo Kojima. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, give me a break. I got, I got yeah. sick of that real quick. Um, <laughs> and and I also would start to just laugh because it felt so over the top to me. Uh, that being said, it is a masterful game, but it just felt like a lot of, um, you know, masturbation. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it just annoyed me that he was so into himself. Him and Konami had their big break after that game. Hideo is full of himself, but not to the degree of that game. Well, this is one of those things where I went in blind and I was just like, wow, okay. It just felt really over the top. I was going to say, though, my goal was I'm going to play this game when I have time until Elden Ring comes out and then I'll probably never touch it again. I was under the impression that it was about a 30 hour game. And so I played up to what I thought was the end of the game. I beat this boss. It was like this giant Metal Gear mech thing. But I finally beat it. And then it was like end of chapter one. And I was like, what? Are you serious? That was only chapter one. I couldn't believe it. And I don't know how many chapters there are, but that's when I ended. There's three. But you also replay a lot of the same exact missions over. Another thing that there was a battle over because he couldn't finish the game the way he wanted budget time. They like have these cutscenes, but the missions in between, you just replay the same missions. Yeah. Which is funny because <laughs> I you would think that it would feel repetitive and it is to some degree, but something about the gameplay was so enjoyable to me that I didn't mind retaking the same mission from different vantage points or like trying different things going in more stealth or trying to do like a sniper play. I quite enjoyed it, but I also don't have any desire to go back and finish it. That being said, there was some really intriguing story things at the start related to uh, Solid Snake's identity that were very confusing to me. And I do want to know kind of how all that plays out so I, i've been tempted to at least look it up but you should look it up or just watch like a youtube cut yeah you can watch a youtube cut of all the cutscenes. i think that's what i'll do there's a pretty cool twist and how it fits into the overall metal gear lore is pretty cool too one of the missions near the end i had heard about was one of my favorite experiences and it's a mission that takes place on your base and it's gut-wrenching it's absolutely just soul crushing, like the worst of war. Maybe I need to give it another chance. I mean, the truth is, like I said, I waited till February and I pretty much haven't played anything else since. So I need to go back at some point, maybe. All righty. Number four for me, another old game, but a brand new re-release. Uh, the Witcher 3 next gen update came out like two weeks ago on the 13th. And I started The Witcher 3 again and I just realized that game is awesome game is so good and the next gen update is really good really optimized they improved the combat which i think was the weakest part of witcher 3 the combat's way better the camera's way better did they change the combat the biggest change is the signs remember how you have like the six magical signs and you had to bring up like a wheel and then pick it up now you just hold right trigger the second trigger and then each of the signs are mapped to a button so there's no wheel like you can instantly just and you can go through them Oh, okay. Um, there's nice. like, there's no break to the combat flow. Everything's like, it's kind of, you have to get used to it because there's a lot of things to remember. You have to memorize when I hold right trigger, which which one is each, because you have the four buttons, then you also have the other left trigger is one of them. There's five total signs. They also changed the camera. They have like an up-close camera. It's more modern, more cinematic camera. And the camera during combat is, uh, you still control it with the right stick, but if you're not controlling it, you're just fighting it. 
this camera is just way better in general. They added new quests for, that are based on the Netflix series. They added new items and gear. It's like, it's like a massive free update. That's awesome. So when I started replaying it, it just reminded me this game is really famous and sold a bajillion copies for a reason because it's good. So I actually missed this, but this is on deck because it came out in 2015. So I've like I've got it installed, ready to go. I'm I'm super psyched. It's it's worth waiting because you're getting like a game that's been polished for seven years. So I'm getting an amazing game for ten bucks. Yeah, it's amazing. I still remember I was reading Kotaku a lot back in the day, and when that game came out, it was like every day I'd get a dose of Witcher glitches, Witcher three glitches because it was so bad at the beginning. It was so bad. I purchased it when when they announced the next gen free update. I purchased it this year on PlayStation Five so that I could get the next gen update because I I was planning to play it and now it's it's here where I can play it and I and I got it for super cheap. My first playthrough took me 140 hours and I gave up doing all that. The game is I'll say this: the game is full of like little treasure chests and like small side quests that don't have a story. Just fetch, go get this item. They're not worth it. The, the reason you want to do all these small, unless you're a completionist and you want to get the trophy, the reason I do those type of things is I'm hoping that it'll give me an item that I make me give me the best gear, the best spell, or something that I wouldn't be able to get had I not done the work to find every treasure chest on the map. But all the best gear in the game is actually done through secondary quests that are they're optional. But it, the way it sorts the quests is you know here's the main quest. Here are the quests that are optional, but they have like story elements. They have voice acting. They have a, they've been fleshed out. They have a, a plot. And then the third tier is like here's just the map icons. Go get a treasure chest. Go get some coins. You don't get anything worthwhile from that third tier. Like there's really no reason to waste your time doing it. And I would say 15, 20 hours of my 140 hour playthrough, I cleared the first map 100. percent Every question mark, everything, until I realized like there's no value. It literally is just baseless filler. You get money and you get items, but by the end of the game, you have so much money, it's, there's no reason. So I would say when you play it, depending on your time and how much you want to invest in it, like if you want like a really tight, like great game, just play the main story and like the good side quests. That's all you need. Anyway, all right. Do you have a number four, Reagan? I'm going to jump in right now because mine's Witcher actually as well. The Witcher 3, that's my number four. So I'm just listening to you talk about it. And and Kate had actually told me this about The Witcher, about the side quest thing. But it's hard to not want to just, when you see stuff on a map and your mini map, you have that feeling that you want to go do it, right? I bring this up because it's it's very interesting because my number one game, which we already know, and then this game are are, are so different in this way. And, and the problem was solved with map fatigue and this 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 feeling of like, I got to check everything off the box. And that's definitely not why I like The Witcher 3. So it's the reason I don't like The Witcher. There's too much garbage on the minimap. Too much garbage. And too many things that just are meaningless. It's filled with a lot of things that are meaningful. But you have yes. so much meaningless shit around it. It's like, you could just cut all that meaningless shit out. It would still be a full game, like a huge game. Can you sort that out on the map? Yes. Now, again... With the next gen update, now they have all these different filters, and you can. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah, but but that all, all that aside, and also the combat is not good. I would disagree. It's good. It's just different. You only play one type of game. You play Soulsborns. That's it. No, I don't. That's what, what else do you play? God of War has good combat. That's closer to Soulsborne. It does have good combat. Witcher has pretty bad combat. What's it akin to? Is this like, or is it like Batman Arkham style, Assassin's Creed vein, or is it? 
It's trying to be like Batman Arkham. It's a closer bit. to Arkham. Yeah, it's, it's closer. closer but yeah, I no like way. that. I like that. Once you get it patterned down and you get better at it. But, but there's it's... no weight. There's no. Okay. There's no weight to anything. Do you know what I mean? By weight. Like there's no inertia. There's no. Everything feels hollow and airy. You're not building up combos, stuff like that. You no, he's, talk, are, he's talking about the feeling. like The feeling of it. Yeah. Like when you play a Souls game, you actually, all the different weapons have a timing to it and they feel heavy. If you pick up a heavy weapon, it feels heavy. It's slower. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I get you. As none of that. Everything just feels like a bu- I'm button mashing a little bit. That That's fine. It's not the point. The Witcher is an amazing game for other reasons. And I can talk shit about those elements because there's plenty of great things about it. And the storytelling and the writing of The Witcher is literally second to none. There is there is no other game out there that has the writing that's as mature and grown up and that level as The Witcher. I mean, Last of Us obviously does, but but Last of Us is a different kind of game. It's a narrative cinematic experience where you're, it's not open. It's just like, I'm I'm on rails. I'm on this roller coaster the entire time. And so it's really, really tight and it's easier to do that. But The Witcher, it's lore and it's world building is truly amazing. Have any of you read the books? I've read them all. That I've and I haven't played any of the video games, and I've watched only a season and then a couple episodes of the Wow, Witcher. you've read them all, but haven't played any of the games. That's usually the dude. The Play books it. are so good. If you if you listen to audiobooks, though, I highly recommend the narrator. They call him the, the man with a thousand voices, and I can't remember his name right now. I can look it up, but like the narration of those books is better than any I've ever heard. And I've listened I listen to a lot of audiobooks now because I'm in my car 40 hours a month. But yeah, the Witcher series is is great, a great listen. It's well written and Dude, I'm actually gonna do that because I, I like audiobooks and I like the Witcher world, so that sounds like a great idea. Well, and one of the controversies about the show is that it's not very in line with the books, right? So Well, and th- th- that it is the most adaptable books in the world because they are weird. They're like the, the stories themselves are drawn from all these fairy tales and kind of as Reagan put it, like they're made for a more adult audience in a, in a sense. Although, you know, if you go back far enough, some of those fairy tales are pretty, can have that dark element and that sort of, they're not really Disneyified. But, but are the video games, oh, I guess, so you haven't played the video games. I was going to ask, how how do they compare to the books, I wonder? Correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, but the first Witcher book is a collection of short stories, right? It's not like a... Yeah, and he he has a longer story in like a main story that kind of comes out of that first. I think that was even written as a, was that his first book or was his prequel? I can't remember now. It's been a couple of years since I listened to him, but I remember looking it up, and I, maybe it's the first one chronologically, or maybe it was the first one that was published. I can't remember, but it started out as a collection of short stories, and then it evolved into the greater kind of big arc that Garrett follows. Yeah, and The Witcher. Yeah, you're right. The Witcher three, the game ties into like the end of the first big arc and that's the show gets to the show predates the witcher 3 the game by quite a bit chronologically it depends on i mean it's hard to say because like you said they're not following the lore or the books they're following the books tentatively i mean i can see i remember like oh yeah i remember that story or this but because it's, it originates from those fairy tales i feel like he took something that was already there and he made it into something new and fresh and why shouldn't the showmakers be allowed to do that but i didn't enjoy the show that much so i don't what? know that they did a great job but Damn. i i didn't go in there judging it for it being different from the books i didn't care about that like I just I thought season two was I pretty good. I think the acting's a little subpar. I felt like I love the show. I know, Reagan, you love that show, but I just can't love it. I've tried. I'll probably go back one day and start watching it again. They but. just dropped a new Witcher. I just noticed before Blood I came Origin down here, or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh. My, my wife, we, her, we both love it, and she's like, "Hey, what's this? There's a new Witcher show." And I'm like, there, "Did you watch the animated movie for the Witcher?" 
That was yeah, nice. also good. That was awesome. Also I really like that. I think I wish they would have made the whole thing animated, kind of like Castlevania. So is The Witcher Three kind of like an open world game too? It's an open world yeah, game, yeah, yeah, for sure. Is that for the sure. last, the latest Witcher game, or is there another yeah, one yes. since then? Um, they did two very big DLCs: Hearts of Hearthstone and Blood and Wine. Blood and Wine is a DLC that's like twenty hours, just the DLC. It's a big like when you buy Witcher Three now. Well, it's, yeah, it's all it's all the same it's, game. it's all the dlcs the next gen update i mean like 150 dollars worth of content all smashed into one game now um, it's a really good deal now if you want to play it's like the best time to play it for sure and you have a ps5 and the ps5 version is awesome so i have it on ps5 you're saying that i can well wait a minute I have... you, if you already have it on ps5 the next gen update is free well and didn't you say that it improves the some of the gameplay like yeah. some of the fighting the combat specifically, the spell casting, they reworked the camera and all the controls for combat. All right, Robert. My my top four games, I realized I'll share a common theme, which is on the surface, they appear to be one thing, but they're hiding some gameplay element or something else underneath. Number four is The Messenger. And uh, Steve Loper, this should be coming up on your list uh, in the next year because it was released in 2018. This is the funniest or maybe the second funniest game I've ever played. I said that in my number five, it takes two. The gameplay was awesome, but the writing was, you know, okay. The Messenger writing, it's so good good every line of dialogue in that game is perfect the type of gameplay is it's a 2d action platformer but you meet these people along the way that talk to you and the game is just so funny i cannot believe how hilarious the writing was and maybe people will disagree with me maybe it's just my taste but i thought the writing was just top notch is it the ninja gaiden looking one yeah it's ninja gaiden but it involves like time travel what's really cool about this i don't maybe you know this or maybe you don't um sabotage studio the studio that made it they're making sea of stars and they've been working on that game for like three or four years it's like a chrono trigger rpg like a uh, an ode to chrono trigger that's the game they wanted to make first but they knew they couldn't get funding for it so they made the messenger first and he the the head of the studio i forget his name he's created this giant world like a lord of the rings george R. R. martin game of thrones and the messenger fits into that along with sea stars and he already has like a bunch of other games planned out and they want to they want to do different genres so they started out with like a ninja gaiden platformer they're going to do a jrpg they're all going to be pixel art like really good pixel art mm. and have that same humor but they're all he has a master plan well i'm totally on board with with, with whatever they make next because i i love the messenger Look up uh, Sea of Stars. That's their next game. It's coming out actually probably pretty soon. Yeah, when yeah. I Google searched the Messenger, Sea of Stars came up first. Messenger is awesome. I'm glad you played that. I, I don't. I think I. I don't know if I've ever talked about it, but I like anything 2D platformer, Metroidvania, pixel. I'm down. All right, Stephen L. So my number four is What Remains of Edith Finch. It reminded me of series of unfortunate events. How that series has a lot of heart, but it's also pretty dark. And this game was pretty dark. One of the coolest things about this that made it so much better than a lot of other walking sims, and I played other walking sims this year, the thing that made this one different is the ambiance of it is what I loved. It takes place in the Pacific Northwest, somewhere that I've lived. The sounds of the waves, the movement of the trees, it all takes place in this crowded, lived-in, book-filled house that has just parts that people had built on top of the original house that just made it bigger and bigger and bigger as that as the family expanded got really repetitive because you're going through the same motions you know 
in most walking simulators, but this broke it up because each time you hit a different story beat, it had a different way of telling you about that story. I like stories that have a point. The point that I got from this was despite the darkness in the game, the dark bits and the parts that could otherwise be sad. um, I like the last line of the game says, I want you to be amazed that any of us ever had a chance to be here at all. Life is just awesome. And that even if negative things happen to us, even when people die, it's still amazing that any of us get to be here. I've heard a lot of people talk about that game as one of the better walking simulators. The only one I've tried is Vanishing of Ethan Carter, and I didn't finish it. I didn't finish that one either because the gameplay loop got boring for me after a while. Going through the same motions over and over and over again and trying to find the exact spot that I needed to do to trigger a certain thing was pretty annoying for me. This one is a lot better. You don't have to hunt stuff down. It's more or less on a rail, like you know where you're going next, you know where you're going, you know what you have to do. And then when you're in the experience, it's pretty obvious what's going on. All right, Stephen, hit us. Hey, my number four is one that's already been mentioned, and that is Stray. So I didn't hear what Robert said about Stray. But what I will say about it is the feeling of like that post-apocalyptic world reminded me a lot of Half-Life. And even though it's a totally different story, they're not in the same situation because of similar reasons, but just the feeling that maybe it's the art style, something about it. And I love that. I love the post-apocalyptic world of Half-Life. And so that was enjoyable for me. But also thinking about it, like what makes that game fun for me is, you know, you, there's lots of games you play that where you platform or you jump to a ledge, you grab and you climb up or, and you get used to that human movement, but being a cat and jumping from le- platform to platform in a in quick succession and just making it a little bit more rapid and fast. It was unique and fun and I just enjoyed it. So I played it on Robert's PlayStation account. And then I went back a little while later and I played it again just so I could platinum it. Really fun game. Stray is worth a play. You can play it in four or five hours probably. Can you explain to me why it was nominated for game of the year so many times? Because people love cats. <laughs> I don't know. Is, I mean, I, it looks nice. But I just it just doesn't seem to compare at all to some of the other games on the list to me. So here's the things that I enjoyed about it. The story is really enjoyable for me, like learning about why the world is the way it is. Why is the, why do you only meet robots? Things like that. And I like the platforming of it, but I didn't I don't think I realized that until I started analyzing it later, like thinking, like, why am I putting this so high on my list? Why did I enjoy it so much? But that was part of it, too. I, I like the puzzle elements. The puzzles are smart and they're I think they, they did a good job. They're intelligent puzzles that make you feel like you smart when you complete them. But yeah, all in all. And then just the art style, too. And it was really polished. Like, I don't think I, I think I maybe glitched in that game one time and I played it through twice and it was good. I, I noticed from the footage I watched, what I like, Reagan was talking about map fatigue, is the UI was really minimal. I think that's important. Like Ghost of Tsushima did it really well. There's no map. There's no mini map. It's all the direction tells you with the wind. I don't know if you guys played that game, but you push a button and the wind blows. And it'll, it, the, based on the way the wind blows, it tells you the direction you're supposed to go. So you're never looking at a mini map. Obviously, Elden Ring did some good stuff with not feeling overwhelming. But when I was watching footage of Stray, one thing I noticed is like the UI was only there when you needed it and it was gone. And it was just a clean screen. And it was like, oh, the UI elements would pop up when you needed it. They were contextual and then they would disappear. I just thought like, man, that's someone really took time to polish just that, just that little detail. 
yeah, a lot of heart went into that game for sure. And it's funny because when I would take a break from that game and go back and play a little bit more, I would, I'd have to remind myself like, what button do I push? Cause there was nothing there to tell me like hit triangle for the mini, you know, for your menu of items or whatever it's. And so I'd have to hit every button trying to figure out some scratch in the ground or like doing something weird. I'm like, Oh, what, what, how do I get those items? Anyways, but yeah, so the, there, you're right. I didn't even realize that, but that's definitely an element to that game. That's One of the things I hate is when you can't control the HUD and you can't make it minimal or you can't make it smaller. We went through a whole phase in gaming where HUDs like, were just so crazy. Like you have fighting games where they have like Dude. these crazy health bars and they explode and it just gets in the way. The only one that was cool, if you ever played Primal Rage, where it was a heart and it had blood and then, then the heart would explode at the end, that was pretty cool. But I'm just, I'm a big, I'm really into minimalism, especially when it comes to UIs and HUDs. And I was watching footage of Stray and that stood out to me immediately. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Like it's polished. Did you realize in Elden Ring that you can remove the heads up, like you can remove the menu item down on the left and it only appear, you can make it go away permanently or you can make it appear yes. only when you're interacting with it. Yes. I've I never do. done that. I need it there because a reminder of what item I'm about to use, but it is there for those who want to eliminate yeah. all the distraction for big screenshots and videos too if i want getting footage of something for a youtube video it's like if i can get rid of the hud it's also really enjoyable but yeah that's one thing i noticed i want to play stray i think you're right though it's cats is a big deal like it looks like an amazing game and a cool indie game but i thought the same thing like man game of the year level i mean we'll see i'm gonna play it for sure i'm gonna play it awesome lauren number three <laughs> All right. Well, I, I'm probably cheating here a little. I'm pulling a Reagan from a couple years back, but my t my top three are all the same game, and it's because I played through it three times. <laughs> so, Cheater. So I know that might be cheating, but I'm gonna I'm gonna talk just for my number three. I'm gonna talk about the things I didn't like. So Elden Ring, my second playthrough. That is my number three. Um, and I played just regular. I just played the game through again from the start it wasn't new game plus for my second playthrough i changed up my playstyle quite a bit i basically went back to the dark souls format i like hitting things with big swords and i don't like using sorcery or any of that stuff and i tried to do a sorcery run for my first playthrough and the game was way harder that way for me it was a lot easier when i just like beefed up my strength and <laughs> and uh, whacked everything with big swords uh but anyway so i have to say though the things there's very little about this game i didn't like but there were a few things that I disliked. The main thing was I've played through it three times. I still don't know what the story is. If I'm honest, <laughs> I am not one of those Souls games. They're all the, this is the thing. But that's my point is I like watching Vati videos, videos about the lore. And I still don't know what the story is. I like other people's interpretations of it. I still don't know what, like, what, what is going on. And I don't care when I play the game. It's all about the gameplay for me. Yeah. Um, and, and that's and I'm sure we'll have plenty to say about all this, but that's that's the main thing about these games. And I'm it's not to say that the story is bad. It's probably really cool and interesting. And there's probably a lot of interesting stuff there. I just don't know what it is. I don't know what's going on. Um, so and I don't read item descriptions. I don't find that interesting most of the time. Sometimes I do. If it matters, I found as I've been playing God of War, for some reason, I'm interested in reading all the little notes in the notebook. It, it pulls me in and I'm interested. Dark Souls and Elden Ring never. I'm never interested in that stuff personally. Um, the other thing, and this is a minor nitpick, but 
when I see a glowing item, I have to get it. I have to find it. I have to figure out how to get there, right? I have to pick up every stupid. If I kill an animal while I'm running by with my horse, I have to turn around and get the stupid like little bones <laughs> that it dropped or whatever, right? But the thing I don't like about all the Dark Souls games and Elden Ring is I have so many collectibles that I never use. I just never use any of that stuff. I just whack stuff with a sword over and over and over. I usually don't even block, you know, and that's just how I play. And I have a hard time getting out of that. But I, I, I try to force myself to use certain consumables or I try to, but I just never do. It's just anyway. So that's, that's another minor nitpick. And I actually liked the item crafting stuff that you could do in Elden Ring, but I ended up just never resorting to it. You know, I just would, the only time I would use it is when I was like poisoned and needed to eat one of those things to unpoison myself. So anyway, that's my very brief uh, Elden Ring nitpicks. I'll hold off a little bit because I know we're going to talk more about it, but I yeah, well, there's going to be lots of Elden Ring going on. I mean, it's his next three games. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, but just to, to piggyback on what Lawrence said, I agree with the, I, I never use the items either, but the crafting moving from breath of the wild where it takes forever to cook a meal to Elden Ring, where you can just like click a button and make as many as you want. is so much better. Like oh, such yeah. a relief for me. I hate crafting in games. I do. Yeah. But at least Elden Ring made it palatable yes so and that's uh, a positive about other ring it made almost everything that's annoying about games palatable and i don't know how they managed it honestly it's almost kind of a miraculous thing they did i wanted to say one other thing about my second playthrough specifically i thought i was very thorough on my first playthrough i really thought i looked in every nook and cranny but on my second playthrough i found so many little things in areas that i hadn't found on the first one that surprised me and that's i'll talk about all those positives later but some of the most like the positives about the game to me are just how phenomenal the exploration is all right Number three for me is a, another small indie game. It's short. took about 12 hours to beat. It's on Games Pass, if you guys have Games Pass. It is a blatant Metroid clone. Metroidvania, your character has a gun arm. It plays just like Super Metroid. So, Lauren, you love Super Metroid. It's called Ghost Song, and it is sci-fi mixed with Dark Souls and Metroid. Dark Souls meaning just the ambiance, like the tone, the vibe of the Lauren's game. Lauren's looking it up. Like I can see his face. He's like, oh, Dark Souls and Metroid? I'm clicking. Oh, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> um, That's on my wish list. I, I, I've been, I'm going to grab that one. Robert Jordan's out. son? What? <laughs> <laughs> it's the biggest thing that stood out to me initially. The art style is very similar to Hollow Knight. It has kind okay, of... A, what, what's the name of it again? Ghost Song? Ghost Song. It's really hard. It's 12 hours, but if you're good, you could probably beat it in eight. I just, it was hard for me. The souls mechanic, when you die, you have to go back and get your stuff. You lose it like everything. That? Oh, that's good And then stuff. it's like, it's really hard. This, there's like very few save points or very few bonfires. There's not Dude, that the many bonfires. The art is amazing. The art is amazing. The art's the great. The backgrounds are amazing. It's, it's like Hollow Knight, but less kitty and more adult as far as the art style, but similar way they layer the backgrounds. The music, the thing that got me really hooked is the music. I found myself just putting the game, like going to an area where I like the music and just letting the game sit idle. Doesn't it have a soundtrack you can just download? You probably could, but I just, I don't know. That's just how I did it. Oh my it. God, I clean this room. Let me play this game for a second to get to this area where I like the music. <laughs> it's called YouTube. That's what YouTube's for. It's short. That's the only thing. By the time it was over, I was just mad that it was short. I wanted more. It just kind of ends. Um, it doesn't, like Dark Souls, it builds, I was reading item descriptions and trying to figure out what was going on. And I, I know I missed stuff because there were certain like voices and characters that it alluded to. I, I never really met them. So I must have not triggered it or something. You can, I know you can miss a lot of things because I beat the game and just felt like, what? 
it's over. How's it over? There's so many things I haven't figured out yet. And so many things that it's hinted at that I never figured out. I just think I missed a lot of things. The, the downside is, is the bonfires or the equivalent of the bonfires are sparse. And in the Metroidvania, when you're doing a lot of backtracking and trying to figure out like, I got a new item, where do I need to go to go to a new spot? It's a little tedious. So it would be higher. I think if the, all they did was like, add 20 to 30% more bonfires just to, at the end of the game when you're not exploring anymore and you're trying to find everything and it just became really tedious towards the end. I think Robert, you're after me, right? The grid's been changed up, but I think that's the order we've been doing, right? Unless Reagan has a number three. I Yeah, I had number four. Yeah, well, you just get three, I thought. <laughs> I do have number three and it's actually already been mentioned in that it was Robert's number five. It's It takes two. And I have a few more things to say about this game. So I know this game won game of the year in 20 or last year, which is pretty impressive to be honest, given that it's like more of an, an indie game. I, I bought this game a lot a while ago, actually. And I just, it's been sitting, it's been sitting there and I, I thought I would play it with my wife and I actually started playing it with, with my daughter. And then I saw how freaking amazing the game was. And now I'm also playing it with my wife. Both experiences are amazing in different ways, but still awesome. And I'll say one of the things that I didn't even know that I wanted in the game until this game gave it to me was there is absolutely zero picking any shit up. And by the way, I like that in some games, but the fact that there's a different game that gives me an experience of like, there's literally nothing. You're, there's no collecting. Zero. None. It's all about just, you're going to go and play the game. Play the level. Don't worry about, am I missing this? That You're not missing shit. <laughs> just play it. Just, just run through and figure the puzzle out and do the... I don't like platformers. That's the thing. I, I'm actually, I just don't like platformers. This is totally a platformer, but I'm super hooked because it has so much charm. I know, Robert, you said the writing's not good. I think the writing's actually top notch, but it's in a certain way. It's not so much that the writing is great in the like, uh, like the love book guy is really annoying. He's his, for example, he's it's pretty to me, that's not great writing, but the overarching theme writing of what it's about two parents, we're getting divorced. We tell our daughter we're getting divorced. And the whole game is about, obviously like, like the parents have to learn collaboration. That's why it takes two. It, you can't play it without two people. It's going to be this redemption story of like these people working together, just that alone as the basis of the whole game, that level of writing, I think is really, really interesting. My wife will, she'll watch me play games. Like she likes watching Last of Us. It sounds like maybe I could get her to play this. I'm, t I'm telling you she'll play. As long as she knows how to use a controller, that's one thing. I and mean, there is a little bit of regular game mechanics. I've had to be a little bit patient. Surprisingly, <laughs> both my daughter and my <laughs> wife have done okay. There's a few parts I'm, I am being patient, like just walking them through. But, but that's, you know, what's interesting. That's like literally the point of the game, like explain to them how to do this thing. So going along with what you were saying, Reagan, how sometimes the writing isn't about like the dialogue or the characters, but it's just the, that's one of the things I love about indie games is when the overall theme of the game is so embedded into the gameplay. And it sounds like that's what you're saying with that game, right? Like that is definitely, they've, they've nailed it with this game. Yes. That's awesome. uh, by the way, I, there. <laughs> so I'll just give you like a little snippet of like a moment I had with my wife. That's so fun. There's a lot of moments in this game where you have to trust each other. You have, I mean, you literally have to have one person. It's like, for example, I'm playing as the guy and my wife's playing as a girl. Cause you know, sorry, Steven, but I'm just, that's how we're going to do it. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. You do you. I'll do me yeah. the way God intended. I'm just <laughs> I'm just, these are jokes, people. 
There's this point where you have to like hold triangle to, to open this spring loaded door. And then your partner can like walk through this hallway to get to the other side. Right. It's a lot of this kind of stuff. And I did it to both my wife and my daughter because I'm an asshole and I just have to do it. I'm like, I like, I totally let go and smash their ass and they die. <laughs> and they're like, what? Why? I'm like, you know, <laughs> because. And of course I do like two or three times before they're finally like, are you going to let me through? Are you going to let me through? And the point is, I'm just like a lot of people who like, when I play, I like to shit talk a little bit. When I, if you're playing a game, it's fun to shit talk. And in this game, it has that ability built in. And here's the thing. When you do that to them, trust me, they have their chance to do it to you. And that interplay is really fun. And I find my, my wife and I just sometimes like, there's this one point you get a nail. You can like whistle like the guy in Guardians of the Galaxy. You can like that thing. He has like a nail and you have to work together and she has a hammer and you can shoot. I can shoot her and she gets stuck to the ground <laughs> and she has to like press triangle a whole bunch so she can get up. But then she can come hammer my ass into the ground. And I just find ourselves, <laughs> we're not even playing the game. I'm just running around the level trying to avoid getting hit by her smashing me. And while I'm trying to throw nails at her to get her stuck and we're just laughing our asses off because she's trying to get me back for what I did to her. Like, it's just, it really does a great job of making you want to not only like do the shit talking, but then at the end of all of that, you do come to play. You're like, okay, all right, that was fun. Now we got to figure out how to get through this together. I totally understand why I won game of the year. All right, Robert. Now it's your turn. All right. My uh, number three is Inscription. The atmosphere of this game is best in terms of atmosphere that I've experienced in a long time. I've heard really good things about this. This is the horror card game where you wager your life? Basically. It sounds awesome. There's this awesome scene in the opening hours where like it gets really creepy and the guy you're playing with like looks into the camera really close and he like holds out this like handful of teeth and he's like, okay, now we're playing for something more substantial. And then like he puts the teeth on the scale and like the music changes. And like, if you lose, like you yank out a tooth from your character and put it on the scale. <laughs> and so it's just like the atmosphere and the music and the sound effects of that moment are just really cool. And the vibe at the beginning is really cool. It, it's a card battler, but I, I hate card battlers, but this card battler is so much more than what it appears that it just became one of my favorite games ever. So that's inscription. I think it's Stephen L. All right, guys. I finally beat Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And I just wanted to say three things about it real quick. One thing that was really impressive to me when I was thinking about this game was how Nintendo and specifically even Zelda games have just totally revolutionized the gaming industry. Zelda games within their own series, like the original Legend of Zelda, there hadn't really been a game like it until it came out. Link to the Past changed top-down games in their depth, made it more than just dungeon crawlers. We're actually going to tell this multifaceted story and take you on in this whole hero's journey. And then they did it again when they went 3D with Ocarina of Time. And Majora's Mask, again, like changed the way you think about these games. And then they did it again for, you know, the fourth time in the same series, even where they just said, look, we've got a formula. We've got some characters. We've got some basics here. And we're just going to totally revolutionize it and just do something completely unique that hasn't really been done in, in this series before. And it wasn't like they invented open world games, but they definitely did something unique and different. It changed the genre. There was one thing that I wanted to mention, too, that I thought was incredible about this game, which was the weapon degradation mechanic. I hated that at first until I realized what it made me do. It made me have to play all the weapons 
that was part of the, the difficulty curve for me was just accepting that I'm going to use what I've got and make the best of it. It ended up being something that I really enjoyed. It made otherwise tedious encounters with the same enemies over and over again different because I had changed. The enemies hadn't. So I thought that was pretty cool. You know what that mechanic did to me? It made me play my very worst weapons always because I got to tell you a story about Halloween candy. All right. So whenever I would go <laughs> trick-or-treating, I'd lay out all my Halloween candy. I'd do like worst to best. And I would save my best Halloween candy and eat the worst candy first so I could save them. Then my brothers would steal and eat my candy bars and I never got to enjoy them. But that's beside Amen. the point. But I would eat, I would use these like rusty swords until they broke, even if it only took two or three hits against tough enemies. And then I'd be, and by the end of the game, I had like this inventory full of like triple shot bows and nice and i never used them so this is exactly why i cannot get through breath of the wild i've started that game i think three different times i've gotten past the plateau i've gotten uh, a few hours past that in each playthrough and i just can't stand it and i've realized this is something about just how i play just like i replay games i like a lot i'll replay dark souls and use the same weapon again and again and i i actually kind of hate that about myself because i should branch out a little but that's exactly why i hate breath of the wild i cannot stand the durability problem and the fact that you get like three hits in with some of these things and then it's gone Ugh, i hate it but honestly like i love variety variety is the spice of life for me i play 28 games a year so playing with 50 different weapons was was fun for me because it was different you know every time hmm. the third thing i want to talk about is just they revolutionized so much this is a spectacular game. I think most people appreciated that. And it was so good that FromSoft actually had to make their own, that they imitated it and obviously expanded on it and made it better. Like you can, you can obviously take something and improve upon it, right? That's how influential this game was. That's how much, you know, imitation is the highest form of flattery than Elden Ring's popularity, that success, it's widespread love stands as the hallmark sign that Breath of the Wild truly was a masterpiece. You know which way they improved on it the best was having a animal that would jump up the cliff instead of taking eight minutes to climb it. They also improved on it by having Elden Ring is not a shitty game. I'm not a fan. No, I Breath am of the not Wild a fan is amazing. Of Breath of the Wild. You said it was my top my in my top three. It was my top game last year. Okay, okay. It took me two and a half years to beat. Not be, not by because it was so big, but because I chose to string it out because I loved it. I didn't want it to end. I just kept playing and I would put it away for a while and play it a while. Anyway, that, that's more or less what mine ended up being. I liked it a lot. All right, Steven, you're up. My number three is Batman Arkham Knight. Now, I love the Batman Arkham series. I Those were some of my all-time favorite games. But I was holding off playing this one because my bias I was telling you about earlier the Batmobile. I was like, no, that's no, nah, I don't want to spend a game in a car. I don't play racing games. I don't play games where you get behind the wheel. I just like to fly through the sky or stealth or, you know, do that kind of thing. But man, that Batmobile was so fun. I do think it changes the the overall Arkham feeling. Bringing the Batmobile into it does change a lot. And I don't know if it's for the better or not. It was fun, but it, it I could have done without it too. The thing that I loved about the original Batman game was that where you would start picking guys off one by one and they'd start getting spooked. I felt like that waned a little bit in this one. Like you, there was not, it wasn't quite as heavily, you know, it was, there wasn't as much of that in this game. It felt like anyways, maybe that's because they put so much emphasis on the Batmobile, but still you know, super the fun. The biggest joke to me is this idea that, you know, Batman never kills but he drives around and does billions of dollars worth of damage and drives as fast as he can into thugs on the streets. But thankfully he has some sort of electrocution thing force on his field car. that knocks him away. It's like a force field that just <laughs> stuns them instead of kills them. And, and then, and he shoots rubber bullets. So it's totally okay. But oh, he can put them on life support, but he just can't kill them. It's, that, that's the only thing that's just like suspension of disbelief, I guess. But I totally agree about Batman on that. 
Just kill him. What yeah. are we talking about here? <laughs> Rick, I'm just going to kill hundreds of thousands of... The new Suicide Suicide Squad game. Did you guys see the Batman reveal? Apparently this version of Batman ices people, so... I'm ready for it. I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. And he's Kevin Conroy's last time as Batman, right? Do you play it on PS5, PS4? I played it on PC. On PC. Yeah. And I, oh, about two-thirds of the way through the game, I got this weird bug that would slow down my game and freeze it. And I had to go... It took me hours. I finally found some piece of code or something. I had to go into some something in the back end of the game and change one line of text or something. And it ah, fixed. Man, that sounds like so much fun. I love that doing was, that for games. I don't. I, I, that that was really annoying. I do but. remember. I was like day one on Arkham Knight because I love the Arkham games so much, and I remember it was so buggy. I ended up. <laughs> just putting it off and then playing it a few months later when they came out with some updates. Cause yeah. it was miserable. That experience. game was so buggy. They took it off shelves for, that's right. Uh, yeah. That's right. Oh, I, I forgot yeah, about that. It was bad, but you know, there was something fun about driving the Batmobile and then just like suddenly shooting out and you're flying through the sky and then it you're grappling fun. and then you jump back into the Batmobile. It, it, it was quite smooth. I was surprised how well it worked. You know, and in, in, in all the other games, I always tried to get like, I, I don't can't remember if in Batman Arkham, did they do like Arkham City? Did they have different levels of trials you would do and you would try to get like three stars or did they just do that in the Batman Arkham night one? All right, Lauren. Well, I wonder what my number two is. I wonder be. what your number two uh, is. So let's you spoiled it. <laughs> well, I did. But so this was my third playthrough and this was New Game Plus. So uh, my first playthrough, I'll talk about that later. But my second playthrough was I just started the game over and then I played on from that for my third playthrough as uh, New Game Plus. And I got to say, whoever invented New Game Plus is just a genius because I hate games where you put all this effort into getting really strong and then it's over and you don't get to actually be strong and, and like take on certain bosses. And one of the things I did in my new game plus playthrough that I had just so much fun with is I experimented a little bit more with the, some of the different summons. I definitely summoned just random people to help me with bosses more because I was like, eh, I don't, I'm not as concerned about beating this on my own. And so I did a lot more just summon. So I would just, we would just have like these boss gank squads and it was so fun to just like stun every boss to death. <laughs> and I, I just really had a good time with it. So new game plus I, uh, I didn't explore nearly as much. I kind of made it more streamlined. I just went to the necessary places that I needed to. And I think I actually got through the whole game in like 10 or 15 hours uh, without, cause I just didn't do a lot of the side stuff. I just ran to the bosses and destroyed them with a lot of help. And it was really fun. I had some fun with the summoning. I had people <laughs> typical else from software trolls. I would summon people. You know how they make the boss harder, like more health. Right. They peace out. They'd fight for like five seconds and they just peace. Yep. And fucking leave me alone. I'm like, God damn it. Sometimes they'll even sit off to the side and watch like they're eating popcorn. It's just like Patches does in that fight with Rodan or whatever his name is. Patches, you summon Patches in and he immediately nopes out. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. He doesn't yeah. even help in the fight. He, you, you summon him in and he notices the boss and like immediately says Patches is left or something. Yeah. I blitzed the game. I basically blitzed all my way to Melania because I was doing a full dex build and I had read that she gives you the best dex. And so I was at Melania early and I would wait forever for a summon because no one was there. And eventually the same guy kept trying to help me and we kept losing. And it got to the point where he'd summon in and he'd see who it was me and he'd just pick, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and he would leave. <laughs> uh, I, no, I never summoned anybody. For the whole playthrough? First playthrough. Same here for first playthrough. 
I'm not a purist like that. I, there were certain bosses where I summoned. We know we've had this conversation already. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I did summon the people who are like NPCs. Yeah, sometimes I didn't summon anyone. I just used mimic tier on every fight. I'm legit. <laughs> Is helpful, but it's not the end all be all. It does not save your ass all the time. There's a reason why they nerfed it. Yes, they should have because it made it easier than it should have been. It's not as easy as summoning a real human. I did use my summons, Ash summons. I felt like I was cheating. I did. But this is one of those things that I love about Elden Ring is it encouraged different gameplay. And I think, it, you know, uh, you were talking, Steve, about the whole get good thing. I feel like that's gone away a lot. Uh, it has. It's gone. Yeah, it's gone now. I really like that Elden Ring kind of said, "Look, play the way you want. If you want to use crazy spells or get huge damage with a, like a, this broken sword that should have been nerfed or whatever, like do what you want." And I actually enjoyed that about the game. Is there were just so many options you could. Yeah. Get these. To me, though, even summoning some of the weaker um, spirit summons made the bosses easier because it would distract them enough to make it a little easier. If you want to get on IGN and read a walkthrough like Kay did, just so find everything you need to find and just go for it. Like, just read a walkthrough like Kay. Like, everybody does their own thing. Why do I feel like you're saying something sincere, but at the same time you're mocking your half-brother? <laughs> because I totally am. <laughs> Walkthroughs are great. He's like, I read that Melania gave you the best dex weapon, so I ran right to right to her. <laughs> yeah, I saw it as like a tweet or some <laughs> shit. The best weapon in the game. I don't know how I, I just put in front of my eyes. Just told me where to go. <laughs> Elden Ring took over all gaming media headlines. We all saw shit. Oh, I wanted to say one other thing just about my new game plus playthrough. You know, my very first playthrough, there were like Radon, for example, was way harder. And then they nerfed that boss like a ton of. Uh, like it two weeks him? out or something. No. And I remember that just like really struggling with that boss. And, and uh, in my subsequent playthroughs, he was so easy. It was almost not even enjoyable. That's a bummer. So um, there, there, there was a lot of like attempts at balancing things. The latest update, didn't they add like a ton of multiplayer Coliseum stuff? Yeah. yeah. Right before the game. I haven't done it yet, but right before the game awards, they did. I have. And you know what I learned? That Robert's really bad at PvP. No, no, that game's <laughs> It always favors the older brother. I'm telling you, don't play it, Kay. We must have played at least 20 times. I won't tell you how many times Robert lost. Once? <laughs> did, he, did he win one time at least? The very last time. Are you like 1v1-ing each other or are you grouping up against other people? We did 1v1. PvP is great, but I've decided that when I go through the game, I'm not worried about it. I'm Because I'm not, it's not why I'm playing. Yeah. I'm doing PVE. I'm playing my solo playthrough. Yeah. If I get through it all and then I want to start changing things around, then I'll go from there because it's obvious that if you want to be the maximized PVP player, you're not going to be the same as if you're just playing the game through for PVE. So it almost needs to be two separate things. All right. Well, moving on. There'll be more Elden Ring. Number two for me was a recommendation by another podcaster. This is a podcast called Retro Hangover. And there's two hosts. When this one host, Chris, is probably one of the most knowledgeable gamers I've ever met. He knows everything about gaming history. He's like this walking encyclopedia. And he highly, 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 highly recommend this game called Spec Ops of the Line. And I looked it up and I was like, a military cover shooter, like everything I don't like. So, <laughs> that makes sense. And he told me it's a military shooter on the surface, but it's a Silent Hill game under the hood. And I was like, huh. Because we, we were doing an episode on Silent Hill 2. We were just talking about how Silent Hill 2 is awesome, yada, 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 yada. And he recommended this game. And I gave him some grief. He probably will listen to this episode. I gave him some grief. It's not really a Silent Hill 2 game under the hood. It is a military shooter. 95% of the time you play this game, you're going to be hiding behind cover and shooting bad guys. But the story 
The story is, it's like, I'm trying to decide like how much to say, because if you feel like playing it, it would ruin the experience. I think you could just add psychological thriller. I would say this, it's a psychological thriller, but it's also a critique on war and video games. The game is critiquing not just itself, but all military games. Like the devs went and said, we're going to make a military shooter that really is critiquing how terrible military shooters are. And someone greenlit that and gave them money. I don't know how that happened. Sounds like a team that's like anti-military shooters, but the the studio came in and said, this is what we got paid to do. You're going to do this game. And they're like, we we didn't want to do it. But do you want to get paid? You're going to get paid? And the result was something amazing. The game is not like it's a generic cover shooter. Gameplay is whatever. It's serviceable. But I was so impressed on what they tried to do. It's like you have the story itself, which has like a bunch of twists and turns. And it's Silent Hill in the sense of psychological thriller and what what's what is reality and what is not but then the next layer on top of that it's a commentary on video games and war porn and entertainment and the industry all those things wrapped up and i was just impressed look these guys went for it they fucking went for it and they did a pretty good job this is the cabin of the woods of military games Without the humor, because Cabin in the Woods was really funny. Cabin in the Woods was really funny. This is not funny. This is not funny. Like, there's no humor. This is heavy. This is as funny as this war of mine. It's another great game. This is still one of the most memorable game experiences of my life. I think about it often. I haven't played that, but it sounds like Stephen L. has, and he's, he's comparing the two. I can say this without spoiling this. It has, like, cool plot twists where it throws, like, the final big twist at the end, and then you realize the clues were all there. Like, maybe a little bit, like, um... Do you ever see the others? It's not the, it's not the same twist, but it's in the sense or thick sixth sense. You realize like, oh, Bruce Willis never talked to anyone but the kid. The details are there. That's how this game is. Like there's the twist is not that he's dead or he's a ghost. He was Bruce Willis the whole time. <laughs> he was Bruce <laughs> the whole time. Die Hard. It's actually Die Hard, a Christmas game. Um so I would say the game. On, it's like it's a seven out of ten game, but I was so impressed by what they tried to do and that they really took a big risk and they did a pretty good job. Almost nailed it. It's one of those games. If you're into gaming, you should play it at least once because it's the only game that's done what it's done. It was actually uh, so controversial. It was banned in the United Arab Emirates and Dubai. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's hard to do. You, Reagan, number two. My number two, God of War Ragnarok. All right, who's played it here? No hands go up. <laughs> Nobody. Do not spoil anything or I will fly to Michigan and cut your balls off. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil anything. I haven't beaten. Here's the thing. I'll admit I've not beaten the game. You do this a lot. You know that? Like, <laughs> no, I don't. I've played 99 and a half percent of a game that I did not put on my list because I didn't finish it. Cut him a break. He has four games this year. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm in the same boat. I would only have like four games if I had to complete yeah. them. It's not happening. I already know. But here's the thing. I already know. It's This is where it is on my list. Regardless of if I beat it or not. It's going to be right here. I already know it. I'm far enough into it that that's what I How know. How many hours into it are you? 25. I have good things to say and I have bad things to say. The good things are if you play the first God of War, not the first one, but like God of War 2018, it's got all that same good stuff. I'm sure that the story is going to end up being even better than it is now. It's going to continue to get better. Some of the epic battles that you experience where there's just the cameras following you around, all of that stuff, which is, just feels like, oh my God, so visceral, right? So all that stuff is still there. What what feels weird today, having played something like Elden Ring, and it's, the thing is that there's been open world games before. I just don't know if maybe Elden Ring reached this tipping point or something where, and here's the thing, not, not every game needs to be an open world game. I don't think it should be. I think some games should be more linear, but man, I, I have felt many 
there's been literally times in this game, even though it's very polished and so good, I've been like, I'm just bored right now. I'm bored with being on the rails. There's really zero choices in this game. Truly. So far, 25 hours in, zero choices. I will say this, getting to the point I'm at in the game, like the further along you get, it picks up more and I'm finding that it's happening less. But in the first 15 hours, I found found myself on several occasions being like, I just, I don't, I'm not wanting to go through this. But the reason it's still my number two, man, it is super polished. The combat is super great. And as I've gotten further in the game, it's only gotten better. And I know that the story is going to pick up. It already has. And in like the past 10 hours or so, I'm getting much more interested in what's happening. And it's, it's going to be another super polished game, just like God of War was in 2018, which was my game of the year that year. I do have to laugh. <laughs> I found myself laughing at there are there are moments in the game where you're like, I can take my hooks and like shoot them and climb this mountain and like pick up giants. And, and, <laughs> and then there's moments like, but on this level design, I can't just jump up to that ledge. <laughs> because that's in a lot of games, dude. I, I know, and I know it's a game thing. <laughs> because I haven't gone up there and kicked the, the chain down yet. <laughs> For some reason, it's just more noticeable when you're fucking Kratos and you're like bashing gods and killing (laughs) Zeus. I know where you came from. And I know in this other cutscene what you just did. And now in this scene, it's like not that ledge. You've seen Kratos jump like 500 feet in cutscenes, but he can't get up to that ledge without Atreus dropping a chain down. Yeah, not not that one. hard to get through. So I've been playing God of War 1 or 2018 and there's this moment where there was, just like you said, there's a ledge I couldn't get to until I got up there a different way and kicked the chain down, right? But then I fight this troll right down below where the ledge is and when I do the finishing move on the troll, I jump twice as high as the ledge (laughs) to slam down into the troll's head and kill it. You know, it's just like, what? Why can't I do that when I wanted to get up on the ledge? That sort of thing does bug me so bad. (laughs) <laughs> and and uh, yeah, I know we're going to talk about this more, but something about Elden Ring f- fixed a lot of that. Where yeah. It was just like, you can get anywhere. You can see. Yep. It's insane. Well, the, El- the Elden Ring's open world like logic was consistent with itself. That's what you're talking about. It's not that obviously games have to be realistic because they're not realistic. Oh. But what, what is infuriating when a game doesn't follow its own logic that it's set up for itself. And Elden Ring, I mean, I'm sure if we like nitpicked it, there'd be holes in it. But generally speaking, it felt like the world and the lore and the logic of the way the game worked all stayed consistent. It didn't contradict itself. Yeah. All right. Robert, you're up. Number deuce. Yes, sir. My second game is Immortality. I said my my four games, you know, they appear to be one thing on the surface. This is by the same creator of Her Story, which I know Steve Loper liked and played a while back. And the follow-up was Telling Lies. And then this is his third game. And in my opinion, it's by far his best and most inventive. The basic premise is you're scouring video footage of an actress. So is it like just like a TV show? Because everything I'm looking on YouTube is just like regular film footage. Well, let me just give my one minute spiel of it and, and maybe I'll convince you to give it another try. But Well, convince me how to play. I want to know how to play too. <laughs> you know, it, it helps that I played his earlier games, which were very similar. The premise is you're basically yourself or, or some you know person who's been given an archive of old video footage. And all the video footage you have is of this actress who, after doing three movies, disappeared and no one really knows where she went or what happened to her. And you're looking through this video footage to kind of see if you can piece together the clues as to what happened. You're trying to solve a mystery. And at 
first you see the whole spectrum of clips and you click on a clip and it shows you a scene that was filmed by a director of this actress or of a scene in the movie that she was in. And then once, once you click on that first uh, cut, all of the other things go away and, and that's your starting point. And then you click on an object in the scene as you watch it. And it takes you to another video clip that has a similar object in a similar shape or similar location on the screen. And then you see a completely different clip and it could be from the same movie or it could be from a different movie. But very early on, you have no idea what's really going on. You can read a little about uh, log in the in the main menu, but when you get into it and you start clicking on these video clips and you start to understand, okay, here's the, the three different movies and how they fit together. And here's the story behind the movies. Because when the, when the movie films, you'll see the director say, okay, take one. And you see that before footage. And then you see the after footage when he says cut. And you see some things that happen after. You start to get to know the story behind the story and you understand the relationships between the actors and how they they felt about each other and how that changed over time. Then the game becomes more complex and more interesting when you start to get the feeling that there's something sinister going on that you can't quite figure out, put your finger on. And then all of a sudden there's a moment in the game and everyone that has played this game that I've listened to or talked to, it, you can discover it at random times, but chills. Suddenly there's something that happens. It's like, oh my gosh. And then the game just becomes even better. So that's all I can say about the game without giving it away. But I, I do encourage you to keep playing it if you try. How it does a game like that end? Like what, how do you win the game or, or, or what's the end goal? In the main menu, there's three questions that it asks, I think. And basically, th there will come a point when credits roll, but there's more to do after the credits roll if you want. There's more to discover. But basically, when you uncover the cent, when, when you basically kind of solve the central mystery and some things happen, then credits will roll. But how do you do that? Is there like a questionnaire? Is there some, do you have to answer questions or? It's a kind of a spoiler to tell you. So I. Oh. But, oh. But it does, it does, credits will roll if you just keep playing it. That's but where do you play this game? I, it's on, it's I, on, it was like a collaboration with Netflix, wasn't it? No, no, it has nothing to do with Netflix. It's on Steam, it's on Game Pass. I, I played it on Xbox Game Pass, which again, if best deal in gaming is what they say. And anyway, it's really cool. I, and I, and he did some things that I, I've never seen anyone attempt to do in games. And so I just, I think it was very ambitious and I think he pulled it off. I'm reading a bunch of comments about it on some YouTube videos and people are basically saying if you can, like most gamers would be turned off by it because it's not a traditional game, but that it's genius. I listen to a lot of gaming podcasts still. This game was for some people, their game of the year. Mm -hmm. It was definitely like a bit, a big deal for a lot of. And I've heard some people who say they just really hated it or people kind of middle of the road, but I, for me, it, it just hit the sweet spot. I, I thought it was great. It's like, a it's like a detective. Like you're playing a detective. You're watching yeah. all this footage, trying to figure out what's yeah. really going on here. All right. Stephen L number two. Dishonored two and death of the outsider. So dishonored two, just a perfect example of an absolutely bonkers incredible game it kind of feels like a bioshock actually it's like you have weapons you have powers you have well-designed levels i have a question so i started dishonored 2 i didn't finish it but you the death of the outsider is a dishonored 2 dlc looks like yes. is that the only dlc for it yes so you played the just the the DLC, or you played through the no, whole? No, I theme? played Dishonored Two and Death of the Outsider back to back. Oh, I don't think I played Death of the Outsider. 
Oh, I played Dishonored too. Yeah, for sure. I don't think I don't know if I played the DLC though. The DLC was really interesting because it took some pretty interesting parts about the levels that you had been through and like brought you back to them. It was fascinating. Like I love the way that they did that. It was kind of like I don't know. Metroidvanias do this all the time where you have to backtrack through the levels so you get to like revisit places. You have like a new power, and now you can open that door. Right. <laughs> But the difference in this was you come back after events had happened. And so like the whole area is a little different. Tricks that you had tried before didn't work that time. And it really got deep into the Dishonored lore. So if you like the Dishonored lore. Do they answer who the outsider is and where he came from? That's what the entire DLC is like about. Yeah. I remember Reagan telling me. (laughs) I was going to say, I have a story (laughs) about Dishonored. Yeah. Tell tell the story. (laughs) This is one of my favorite stories. All right. Dishonored 1. This was for Dishonored. It's a series though. So I was playing Dishonored 1 and I might have been smoking some weed at the time. Definitely was smoking weed at the time. And I had this moment where I, I sat down in front of the computer, but the opening like title screen came up. And I was like, had this moment where supernatural forces were telling me, I was like, you're essentially right now playing a game where the devil is giving you powers to do the thing you need to do. Do you understand how evil this shit is right now? Are you trying to, at, at, at times, they will call the, they will say evil is good and the good things are bad. And I had this moment, I was like, I'm not playing this game anymore. And I remember, I was, I remember this discussion. We had a discussion I, about this at some point. Yeah, I told Kate, I'm like, yeah, Dishonored is a really cool game, but I'm not playing it. And I didn't. I stopped playing that game for like two years and I stopped smoking weed. And when the weed had worn off and no longer had that connection to the universe, I was like, eh, what does it matter anymore? I'll play this devil game. <laughs> it, that's so interesting though, because in their world, that's exactly what's happening to certain people, right? That they're being visited by this person that like gives them abilities. And there's certain people who are making shrines. Oh, it's dark shit. There's dark shit. And that, that game is dark shit. The crafting that it added, the runes and the bone charms, like the ability to take them, deconstruct them and make new ones was so cool couple of things about it. One was, this is a bizarre art style. Everybody looks just off and it like their faces don't look right, but they didn't want hyper realism. It's like a foggy oil painting by Turner. Dishonored 2 art is super key to the story. And so I thought that was cool. The other part that was amazing to me was the voice work. The ship's captain is Rosario Dawson, and she's the main character of the DLC. Vincent Donafrio is one of the bad guys. Sounds a bit more like Kingpin than he does his Edgar from Men in Black. Sam Rockwell and Pedro Pascal are both in this. The Outsider is played by Robin Lloyd. Lord Taylor, who played the Penguin in the TV show Gotham. And I was thinking about it and I was like, if you had Rosario Dawson, Vincent D'Onofrio, Sam Rockwell, Pedro Pascal, and Robin Lord Taylor as the as your five leading actors in a movie, that's that's some legit star power. And that's the video game I just played. You're making me want to I didn't I didn't I got like six or seven hours into it, and for some reason I just didn't finish. I don't remember why. It starts slow. And that was my biggest beef with it. It took me a little while to get into it. Steve, every year you convinced me to immediately buy a game on Steam. And I just bought Dishonored 2. I loved the first one and I forgot the second one even existed until this moment. So it's good. I wouldn't say it's better, but it's as good. 
All right, Steve, number two. My number two, Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Those Ori games are so freaking good. They're the they're some of the best Metroidvania games. They're so fast paced. They're super challenging. Some of the platforming is just like so precise. I hate it when games you play where you hit the button and it feels like the jump is just a hundredth of a second off or something like that. No, this game is so tight, like just enjoyable. You can get from one end of the map to the other in a matter of minutes because it's just quick. You're just dashing through the levels, and but it still requires all the same things that Metroidvanias require. And, and actually, the stories are really good, too. One thing I like about the Ori games is instead of having rooms, like boxes, and you transition, it's all seamless. Oh, yeah. There's no loading. I've heard people say that when, you, when you're thinking about a Metroidvania and keeping track where you're at, we've all been trained, like, okay, here's a room, and then it's the room next to this has this item in it, and the room next to that had the gate that I got this item, now I can go back there or whatever. And I can see that as it's, it could be easier to parse a map into rooms. But I actually thought, when I've, I've only played the first Ori, but I thought it was way more immersive when you weren't, like, going through a door, cut, the next room opens up. It's just, the map is seamless. It just It's all one, you never cut. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that either until you just mentioned it, but yeah, that does make it just feel so quick. It's You can play the whole game 100% in probably 15 hours, I bet. Yeah, I love those games. Alrighty, number one. Should we let Steve do his number one since it's different and then we can jump into all the Elden Ring talk we want? Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, let's do that. My number one is, it's a number of games, actually. One game that I actually want to talk about in the context of this is a game called Finding Paradise. Finding Paradise is a sequel to a game that I absolutely fell in love with a few years ago called To the Moon. And they're these indie games made by a publisher named Ken Gao, who makes these games on RPG Maker. He makes them by himself. He writes all the music for it. And they have these beautiful piano, cello orchestrations. And I feel like a lot of games are made and only certain ones are actually handcrafted. It's a continuation of the same story. Are you guys familiar with the To The Moon series? Briefly, it's just about a company that gives people their last wish on their deathbeds by going into their memories and editing their memories of their life to give them the thing that they always wanted. That's basically the plot line of this story. And I love the way that his games make me think. It made me think about how the beeping an EKG machine when it flatlines, it's a term called asystole, meaning that there's no electrical activity in the heart. It made me think of that differently. In my profession, that's a panic time. That's a time to freak out. But for a lot of people, that final is just one last long drawn out note of their life's symphony. Another thing that he made me realize was that the imperfect, damaged, unique people in my life are so important to me and we were always supposed to be together. And then thirdly, the idea that we can live our lives with regrets, but not necessarily have to go back and remove those regrets retroactively. That's what this one was about specifically was regrets and not editing them out. But I played this game on my number one thing of the year, which was Valve's Steam Deck. The Steam Deck for me was, I think, in the same way that I remember Lauren talking about VR for him, how it just completely changed the way that he approached gaming in general. And that's kind of how the Steam Deck was for me. It's the first piece of hardware that I've had that radically changed the way that I play. Obviously inspired by the Switch, but a refinement of it. Because now I can and plan on playing Elden Ring in bed while watching a TV show with my wife. You know, now I can and have just played games while watching a 
football game. Now I can have basically the majority of my overflowing Steam library just like in my hands whenever I want. I've played it on planes and buses. I've played it on road trips. I played it on lunch breaks at work. I took it to the dentist while I was just in the waiting room. And it was like, I have my Steam library at the dentist's office. This is incredible. The main criticism that I have is it's a little bit ahead of where it is. And the developers even came out recently and said, it's never going to be finished because it's a PC and PCs are never actually finished. I love how it can be a PSP emulator or a Switch emulator. I can't think of another time when a company actually developed a piece of hardware that was immediately backwards compatible with the majority of the things that they had already developed it for. PS5, you had to get five generations of PlayStations to finally be backward compatible one generation, right? It took Nintendo a year to get a handful of NES games on the Switch, two years to get a handful of Super Nintendo games on the Switch, and four years to get a handful of N64 four games just a small edit the ps3 was backwards compatible with ps1 and 2 the launch one the first one yes and the ps2 was backwards compatible with ps1 games okay gotta give my boy sony playstation a little bit of credit i'll give him a little bit of credit that that's fair that's fair so one of the things i've wondered the only this is a very minor thing because most games aren't mouse and keyboard anymore but what about those games that are just better as mouse and keyboard games how does the steam deck do with those amazingly yeah, so really well. So so it depends on how you want to play it. Because number one, if you want to play it with a mouse and a keyboard, then you get a USB hub and you plug in a mouse and a keyboard. That kind of, a lot of people make fun of Steam Deck users for like suddenly making their portable device not portable anymore. But also, Steam's been doing this for years. Have any of you used big picture mode where you launch Steam in a big picture mode and you use a controller to navigate everything? Well, mm-hmm. people, it's so customizable. And Steve's left this, Steam has left this open for its users to finesse, but any mouse and keyboard game that's that works on the Steam Deck, people have made custom controller inputs where you're yeah. using a thumbstick and you can yeah. even use the little trackpads if you need to, but and you'll see which ones are used the most or the most highly rated ones. And you just click on the controller icon, change it to that input and it reassigns all your keys for you. Or you can do it yourself. If you're like, no, I prefer to use this back trigger button or whatever. I've been emulating Metroid Prime on it. That one took me a minute to get tweaked just right, but I found the right controller configuration. And it's amazing that a game that you used to play with a Wiimote and like a handheld thumbstick thing where you point at the screen is now just works like a first person shooter on the Steam Deck. And it works perfectly. It's awesome. Yeah. The fact that they made it into a handheld, which feels really good in my hands, much better than the Switch ever did. The Switch is just too small. The deck feels like a man hand sized. So what I hear is your deck feels great in your hands. You can play it on the bus. You can play it on the couch. You can play it out in public and next to your wife in bed. Your deck feels great in your hands. Steam deck feels great. A winner. What a winner. Did you say what a wiener or what a winner? <laughs> I think I said winner, but mine doesn't have a trackpad. Where do you get trackpads? I don't have any trackpads. Oh, trackpad. It's it's all in how you use it. It's all in how you use it. There's two things that I love about the Steam Deck. One is I I'm it's it's like you said. I'm usually playing my games like after 11:30. My family's in bed. I get on the computer. And I'll play a game with the Steam Deck. I'm just out on the couch in the middle of the day and I'm playing a game. And my one year old's right by me. Just being able to do what you can do on most consoles, where you just go into sleep mode with one press of a button 
and your button, your game is just ready for you next time you're ready to pick it up for 15 minutes. Whereas with my PC, it's like, I can never do that. I have to log back out if I'm, something comes up and then it's logging back in. It takes 20 minutes, you know? It is a big deal for me as a dad of six to have something that instantly accessible. That is literally why I haven't played Witcher 3 yet because I didn't have the Steam Deck. I needed something that could just be that. And I'm super excited for this new edition because when there's an area that I'm like, oh, I really want to be able to see the beautiful graphics of this. Then I can go down, get on my PC. I've got a 6700 XT in it and I can let those 12 gigs of RAM rip. And then when I'm just mining, you know, stupid treasure chests, which Cade told me not to do, but I'm doing it anyway, then I can just do that while I'm just sitting around, you know? Everybody I know that has one loves it. I ran into a random guy at a place called Coconut Cobra. Kids can go play. Dude was just sitting there playing. And I was like, is that a Steam Deck? He was like, I'm so glad you asked. And he was ready to show me. He showed you his deck? <laughs> Want to see my deck? Dude, check out my deck. deck. Dude, he let me touch his deck. He let me play with his deck. It was awesome. At a kid's place, even. I didn't even know his name. And we went straight to deck playing. No stranger is using my Steam Deck. I'm the sorry. Poli <laughs> the police have been notified. <laughs> Get your hands off my deck all righty well now we have come to the final elder ring talk i'll try to go quick I, there's just a couple things that i wanted to point out because we all know why we picked it for number one in all the other dark souls games in bloodborne i can think in my head how it starts and i can pretty i pretty much have it all mapped out because i played those games you, you have to run so much to get to the boss and you have to go through the same areas a lot over and over i, I just feel like dark souls one in particular i have that entire thing mapped out in my head i can't forget where everything is i feel the same way about dark souls 3 bloodborne dark souls 2 maybe i'm a little less but with elden ring i played through it three times now and I still can get lost. And that's one of the things I just absolutely love about it. Now, that being said, I'm better now than I was. I feel like it's more or less connected in my head. The map is pretty much ingrained in my head, but there are still just like little twists and turns in it that just shock me sometimes as I'm replaying. The discovery and the exploration of that game blew me away. And so that's one thing I wanted to say. The other thing I want to say is there were moments while playing that my jaw was just <laughs> like, I would have to close my mouth because I realized my jaw was open. When I got to Stormvale Castle, that first time and I just kept finding more and more places and ledges to jump onto and like little hidden areas I just could not believe how massive that area was it just kept getting bigger and bigger and I, I there was this point when I got down into like the sewers and I was I felt so lost and then that you know that giant um the face on the ground yeah the face on the ground but there's that yeah so yeah, but, but there's that weird serpent like boss that gets copy and pasted quite a few times through the game. But, you know, that that boss is down there. That's the first time I came across that particular particular type of boss. That whole area just blew me away. I could not believe how massively huge it was. And then another time when my jaw dropped was when I found this random lift and I'm like, oh, there's a lift here in the middle of the forest. And it took me down and down yes. and down and down. And the, the Siofra River or whatever it's called, the, the that area. And it's just like the, the glittering stars in the cave. I was just like, I cannot believe this exists. Like, yeah. I was so excited that the game existed that someone had managed to accomplish a feat like this it blew me away and then and that never goes away for me you know like bloodborne they did their like weird procedurally generated um dungeons Right, that right, you could right. go through to chalice, that, chalice the chalice dungeons and that got really repetitive and just like mm -hmm. 
I never felt that way with like all the different caves in Elden Ring. They they all had something unique about them that was like, wow, I felt like I discovered something new. And I can't believe that they pulled it off. Um, So those were the two big things that just kind of like stuck out to me is just how, what a massive accomplishment it was uh, from a level design standpoint, you know. And then the minimal map. That was the other thing. The map never felt overwhelming to me. That, that was the last thing I wanted to say. It's just like you could put your own markers and things and kind of track things on your own. And they had all these options for different types of markers. So there were some areas where I came to and I was like, I don't want to go back there. So I put like the little skull head marker there or like come back here later. There's treasure that you can't get to yet. And I got to choose how that went. It wasn't like a marker that was constantly annoying me like, oh, I got to get all these collectibles. And that was so refreshing in, in the best way. So anyway, uh, the map itself is a work of art in that game. It's yeah, it's a beautifully handcrafted map. You know, with as far as like the scope of that game, I played through it blind. I didn't read anything online like I've tried to do with most Souls games. But when I got to the like the kiln of the giants or kiln of the fire giants, whatever that's called. I, it, it asked you, okay, if you light this, the game's going to change a little bit and warned you. So I thought, okay, now I'm going to start looking stuff up and see what I missed. And oh my gosh, like I couldn't, because I pride myself on finding every little thing. Like even ask Robert, I, I, he said I ruined Souls games for him because I have this compulsion to kill every enemy at least once, even if it's just like a stupid, mm-hmm. like wandering noble. And so now Robert feels like he has to do the same thing. But I pick up every little glowy thing. I kill every single enemy at least once. And like I get into every nook and cranny. So when I got to be that part of the game and realized I had missed huge chunks of the map. Yes. My mind was blown. It was just like. <laughs> I had another 40% to go. It was crazy. That's another thing that stood out to me is I love how the sort of like fog of war or whatever you call it on the map, you don't realize how big the map is at first. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, this is manageable. And then it, it like starts to pull back and pull back as you find more bits of the map. And it's just like, how far does this go? I, I couldn't believe it. I, I really look forward to the DLC because I think it's probably going to do something similar where it's just going to be like, wow, there's so much more, you know? When was the last time a game got me opening up the map and actually looking at the goddamn thing? Oh my God, look, at there's a ridge there. It's not just... Yeah, you study it like a cartographer or something. Yes, like a cartographer. Yeah. That's a ridge right there. I need it and I can't get to that. Like I'm standing right here, but I can see there's a something else. I got to be able to get to there. And so you start looking around and, find, and then you eventually, you do find out there's a way to get to it. And it's like the satisfaction from a game developer not treating you like a small child is like, oh... The relief. Yes, I'm a grown up. Just give me a few clues and tell me how to do this and I can do it. From from what I, listening to other podcasters talk about it and re- reading other people write about it, I really believe that first moment when you step out into Limgrave is going down in the history of video games. It's, everybody knows that feeling. Like when you first step out and then the other thing about Elden Ring, their art design, it's not it's not even a question why they want game, uh, the War for Best art design. Like it's 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 the symmetry. It's the, they understand like line of sight. There's so many games and, and even pieces of media, movies, they do all these technical things where I'm, I'm actually thinking about Avatar 2, which I saw, which is it's a good movie, but art design wise, like artistically wise, it's not anything special cg is great but there's the art design isn't great it's technically amazing but technically amazing but it's not it's not artistic artistically it's not it's nothing whereas in elden ring when you first walk out you're just like they know exactly how to draw your eye to the thing and make you feel like you're in this place it's it's nails it It, this game really is look i'm obviously a FromSoft junkie i've been doing this for 10 years now and it's always a FromSoft game if it came out but this one did nail on something very special in that regard of just making it feel open at the same time not overwhelming somehow overwhelming not not the map fatigue 
Yeah. And by the way, everybody noticed this, this, this right here, this is going to change the industry. You're going to see a lot more of this kind of stuff coming out in the next few years. There are times when you're exploring and it's like, oh, another area that looks like this. But there's something unique happening over here where there are like enemies that are all like bowing around something or or um, there's something going on that's unusual about the way the enemies are facing. Or that like random uh, windmill village where the women are all like dancing and it's like, what is going on? And like, I love that they embed. So I, I said, I don't really understand the story, but at the same time, they embed so much story into every design choice. It's not just like, oh, there's an enemy there. There's a reason that. And enemy you can is find there. out why everyone yeah. in that, that windmill is that way. You know, if you wanted to dive into the item descriptions, you could figure out what's going on. Yeah. Just that kind of design, that kind of thought where there isn't something there by happenstance. There's a reason that that dog is sitting outside of that guy's little cabin when you go talk to him about the needle or whatever. Like there's all these things that matter. And it's really fascinating to me. I actually think the best Vista, that mo moment, obviously the opening moment into Limgrave or Limegrave, it's the opening moment. But when you get through Stormbell Castle and you see Learning of the Lakes, mm -hmm. that yes. view... That's, that's kind of like yeah. that's where you first get past the first main boss. And like, oh, here's the next section of the map, and you see like the castle on the left, the castle on the right, the the valley, the water, the trees. That for me was probably the best vista. Kind of like, okay, this world is this world is no joke. But like, what did they do? I would love to hear some of the design meetings of like, how did they figure out how to craft a map that is massive but not overwhelming? That you didn't need to have a mini map. I've seen some dev diaries on Breath of the Wild and how they talk about like the ratio of triangles and how they like no matter where you look they only wanted a maximum of like three vocal points otherwise it would be overwhelming there's there's certain rules and things they developed mm -hmm. to, to make the map of breath of the wild from soft came up with some sort of formula some sort of system like you said there's going to be copycat maybe people will figure it out but i don't know what they did i just know it works it's the best ever done level design you can see how they expanded on what they started with games like dark souls though i mean even in dark souls there are moments where you can look up and see an area that you won't get to for forever it's visible um it now those are much more linear games but like dark souls 3 when you get up when you put that flag that banner down after the kind of first real boss um you can see almost the entire game out in front of you in that vista before yeah. you get there it's kind of incredible how they they seem to kind of learn from that but i was going to say one other thing about vistas I don't know if any of you dealt with this, but you know, there were some of those trap treasure chests that would teleport you to places. Yeah. Yeah. I, early game. I got stuck in that area where it took me to that crystal cave um, in Kalid. Yeah. And I remember yeah. coming out of the cave <laughs> and being like, what hell did I just enter? Like, it was so <laughs> shocking. That to me was the most shocking Vista because it was like disgusting. And I was like rotting and like, yeah, that whole thing was just like, so I was just like, what, what is this? I couldn't believe it. The it's level amazing. design on that choice is so next level genius because what they're, if you really think about what that does, they're taking you early game and limb, your limb gray, which is kind of like looking back, you're like, I'm kind of safe in the green area. And they just like, we're going to transport you to a later area where you're not ready for it. And like, because that sense of danger and also doom and it, it puts it in the back of your mind. It's like, it's like giving you a prophecy and revelation that the end is coming. And right. you're just like, and, and even when you finally escape and you get back to the, ah, I'm back to the green, you know, but now you already know, I know what's coming. But the joke is that's not even close to the end. I, I, know, I, was, like, exactly. I was like, this must be the end. This is the worst area. <laughs> but no. yeah. And it's just like the next area really is yeah. insane. You know, 
after that experience, every single treasure chest I open, I roll backwards before the fog can envelop me. Yeah. It does get in the back. I, I would do that. And then when I would see afraid. the fog, I, I would roll back to avoid it. And then I were like, Oh, I want to see where it takes me. <laughs> I was going to say, um, I said my top four games all had this element in common of having something else beneath the surface level. And for Elden Ring, the joke is I meant that literally and Lauren already talked about it, but when you go beneath the surface in the elevator and you see Seofer river, but then not only that, but in that area, you see like a giant monastery or a city like floating in the air beneath Lingrave, beneath the regular world. Yeah, and like, you're like, oh, is that just set decoration? But no, you get there later too. So it's like levels within levels, and that's yeah. one of the one of the coolest things about the game too. That's I think everything else has been said for 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 my part. I want to say the other vista. I don't know if I'm trying to think of the ones that really hit me. What's the town in Learning of the Lakes? The magical town called? It's like in the the valley in the water. So like the the the, the academy? academy the academy now. Yeah, the oh, opening right, shot right, Lucaria. Right, Lucaria. Yeah. The opening shot when you get in there and you walk through the first down, like the first steps and you see the academy, just like the art, like you were saying, like the art, the art direction in that game, like every area was just, oh man, it's so good. There was also that point when I I don't even remember how I got there, but you get, uh, oh, I remember you go into that area where there's all those guys who are mad. They're, They're like the merchants and they're all these dead bodies and guys playing violins in that cave you know what i'm talking about and it had the worst parkour area where you have to like do these ledge jumping and it's just the worst i must have died like 50 times trying to get to the bottom of that and then and then you find this door and the door you can't open it and there's a message that was left there that said something like take off armor or something i was like okay so i take off the armor and open the door (laughs) and that giant (laughs) hand comes and grabs me and does that, that like Friends, I didn't even know what I was doing. I didn't know that that was going to change how the game ended. I had no clue what was happening. I, that's then, what I did my first from, playthrough. Me yeah. too. And but then from there, there's a hidden wall that takes you into this area down on the trees with the ants. You remember that? And you yes. just go down the trees, yeah. and it just goes down and down and down. And there's the waterfalls. I just couldn't believe it, and I was like, I could have missed all this. This yeah. was all hidden in this one door they, I happened to find. They don't give a shit if you miss stuff. They're like, yeah. we're not gonna, we don't care. <laughs> you, you know, the, the antithesis of that, we, I was talking about this earlier, Reagan and I, we used to play Merp with my brother. We'd make these campaigns for us, Middle Earth role-playing. It was like a simplified version of Dungeons and Dragons. But Reagan got ambitious and he decided, I want to make my own. And he would sure like everybody found every secret. <laughs> he he would hide like the plus two sword, right? And then he'd like, I know. <clears throat> you know, like just he wanted us to discover every little thing. But yeah, it's so impressive that they're like, okay, we've done some really cool stuff here, but you know what? 90% of the players are going to miss this. And they still did it. It's like, yeah, they did it anyways. Dis- yeah, they're, they're disciplined. Yeah, there's, there's so many areas that that concept of going down and down and down and keep going down. All Souls games have that, but Elden Ring had like four or five different like depths you could keep going. There's the ant area. I think it's the same area with the waterfalls where you go into that room and there's like the giant statue. Yeah. Yeah. What's that thing about? There's there's the big tree too that you climb down. Yeah. Then there's the, uh, like the other area, like the lava area where you, there's like a temple underground and then there's the lava temple. Then you get in the coffin and you go down even further and you fight the astral guy. It's crazy. It's the shit. We all know it. It's, 
I, I'm excited, like you were saying, Reagan and Steven talking about it. Like it's I think it's good. I think I think the copycat's good. It's gonna yeah. it's gonna force the rest of open world games to take cues from it. And then it's gonna FromSoft made a good bajillion dollars. I mean they sold yeah. I think it's up to like fifteen million sales at this point. Seventeen or eighteen now. So it's they've made so much money. Which means they're gonna make another one because it's a cash cow. And they're gonna have to up the game again. Yeah. I, just adding in the jump, it was such a small thing. And I know they did that with Sekiro as well, but that was so great that they finally did that. I was going to say to use the R3 button to jump. <laughs> yes. The, the gameplay was very smooth for me, except there were a few moments when I was like right on the ledge and I would um, summon the steed and the steed would just run off the edge and kill me. Oh, did that speak- happened to you guys a lot? That happened to me that so many times. <laughs> Gravity <laughs> killed me more than anything. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of refining all the little annoyances of open world games, the fact that the steed just automatically summons and you hop on it, because every other open world yes. game, you call your horse, it like comes in, you gotta find it, you gotta run to it, and you go yeah. sometimes like it glitches like The Witcher. I love the game, but yeah. the horse, like it'll Why? It, it'll spawn kind Roach of by for you. A reason, right? Yeah, yeah. those <laughs> mini things, those little mini touches make such a big difference. Ugh. Yeah, the the steed just and that they they worked it into the lore, right? Everything has to work into the lore of the game. It can't just be oh, this is convenient. It has right. to be convenient, and it has to make sense in the world's own logic the steed is spectral and you summon it okay perfect now we can just get rid of this whole annoying thing of and also the ai like other games even ghost of tsushima has this sometimes the horse will like clip and get stuck behind something mm-hmm. you can't go get it they they solve all those problems just yep. make it a spectral steed genius yeah the horse only exists when you're on it <laughs> yeah it's exactly. not like running around yeah it's brilliant and that's where we ended it so if you made it all the way through Kudos to you. The gaming gods shall bless thee. Remember, like, share, comment, engage. If you share the good news of the gaming gospel, ye shall be blessed. Thanks to all my friends that joined. And until next time, amen. See you guys later.